Recording in progress. Good evening. We're about to begin the special city council meeting. And council member Wengraff, are you there? I am here. Okay, great. Okay, good evening. I'd like to call to order this special meeting of the Berkeley City Council for Monday, July 24th, 2023. And the first item on our agenda is roll call. If the city clerk can please call the roll. Councilmember Kesserwani here. Kaplan present. Bartlett here. Harrison is absent. Hahn present. Wengrap present. Robinson present. Humbert present. Mayor Argin present. Thank you. A quorum of the city council is present. Uh, Councilmember Harrison will not be joining us this evening, but all other members are present. And uh, we will now proceed to our action calendar. We have one item on our agenda this evening. Item one, the uh, consideration of the ZAB appeal for 2720 Hillegas Avenue uh, use permit variance ZP20220095. Um, I wanna summarize our process for this public hearing, and then we're gonna turn it over to the planning department for a presentation on the appeal. So before we go to the planning department, I'll ask members of the council if they have any ex parte disclosures they need to make um, on the record tonight. Members of the council will also um, directed to uh, submit uh, written disclosures of any ex parte communications uh, with regard to this uh, land use matter. Um, afterwards, we will uh, proceed to a presentation from the planning department on the ZAB appeal, and then we'll open the public hearing and first give the um, uh, appellant, or uh, I understand that the, there are a number of people who appealed this uh, particular land use decision, but we'll give the appellants five minutes to present on their appeal. And then the applicant, in this case, it's the City of Berkeley Parks, Recreation and Waterfront Department, five minutes to present. And then we'll open up the public comment portion of the public hearing, uh, where um, depending on the number of speakers, if there are up to 10 speakers, speakers will be allotted two minutes. If there are more than 10 speakers, uh, speaking time will be limited to one minute per speaker. You can yield your minute to other speakers for a maximum of four minutes. So that's the maximum time that people have to speak as part of the public comment period. So if you have, say, a representative of a neighborhood group or somebody who's a subject matter expert, if we can please have quiet in the chamber as we're beginning the meeting, um, if there's a subject matter expert you, you'd like to speak, you can yield, you, yield your minutes for a maximum of four minutes per speaker. So if you get three other people to yield your minute, you have four minutes. Um, at the conclusion of the public comment portion of the public hearing, uh, the city council will deliberate um, and uh, either keep the public hearing open or close the public hearing. Um, and at the conclusion of the public hearing, um, the council uh, can take action on the ZAB appeal. There are a number of options the council has. We can remand to the Zoning Adjustments Board. We can uh, hold the appeal. We can deny the appeal. Um, this is a hearing de novo, so all testimony and evidence that's presented as part of this hearing um, will be considered. We are we are making our decision on the basis of the record, but also any new information that's presented in this appeal can be properly considered and acted upon as part of this uh, hearing de novo this evening. So with that, um, I will not like to ask members of the council if they'd like to make any ex parte disclosures. And I'll begin. Um, I had a conversation with Vincent Casalina, who's one of the appellants um, at, at an event um, in which he had mentioned to me um, some of the concerns that he and other neighbors have with respect to the ZAB decision and invited me to participate in a tour of the site. 
um, which I unfortunately was not able to do prior to tonight's decision. I did read the record, just uh, just to note for the record, um, and I'm prepared to take action tonight. But that's the the sub the substance of our conversation. Um, Councilmember Han, then Vice Mayor Bartlett. Yes, thank you very much. Um, over the weekend, I went to the site to take a look um, with Carla Woodworth, Vince Casalina, and um, I'm afraid I'm forgetting this lovely gentleman's name, uh, Alex Stick. Yes. Uh, and um, they basically showed me the conditions of the site um, and explained their concerns, which are fully consistent with what um, is in their written materials. Vice Mayor Bartlett. Thank you. I too met with uh, Vincent Castellina and some a group of neighbors and was uh, showing the, the site. Thank you. Councilmember Humbert. Yes, thank you, Mr. Mayor. Um, I had a long meeting with a number of the appellants in the fall of 2022, including Mr. Castellina, and listened to their concerns. I've had two meetings with the parks director more recently. One was before the ZAB hearing in which I visited the site just to see what the downward revised plans uh, look like after the the plans had been reduced by about 25 percent in terms of in terms of square footage. Uh, the second time was more recently in that meeting. I clearly articulated that I was keeping an open mind, given my quasi adjudicatory role in this hearing. Finally, I had an email exchange contact with the appellants right before the ZAB hearing, which is documented in the ZAB appeal. Thank you. Okay, thank you. Are there any other members of the city council who need to make any ex parte disclosures for the record? Um, members of the council also were advised to submit written disclosures. Any written um, ex parte disclosure forms that have been submitted are available for review in the city clerk over here. Um, are there any other verbal ex parte disclosures members need to make? Okay, if not, um, thank you. With that, I'd like to turn the floor to Jordan Klein, Director of Planning Development, to open um, on the staff presentation. Thank you, Mayor Aragin. Good evening, Council Members. Presenting for staff this evening will be Claudia Garcia, Principal Planner. I believe she is there with you in Chambers. Evening. Just going to bring up my presentation in just a moment. And um, if you could pull the mic close, so um, sometimes if it's far away, it's hard to hear the speakers. Thank you. Is this better? Well, while Claudia is pulling up the presentation, I'll, I'll also introduce Aileen Pearson, Deputy Director of Planning, and Samantha Updegrave, Principal Planner and Zoning Officer, who are also there at the staff table. Good evening, good evening, Mayor and members of the Council. My name is Claudia Garcia, and I'm a principal planner with the City of Berkeley. I will be leading the presentation tonight for the 2720 Hillegas Avenue project and the appeal to the Zoning Adjustments Board decision. I will begin my presentation by providing a high-level overview of the use permit application, the project timeline, staff revisions to the April 27th staff report, as noted in the Council, council appeal points, and our staff recommendation. Use permit application. The project proposes to demolish the existing on-site structures and construct a community center, new restroom and trash enclosure. The application also requests a variance approval 
to reduce the 20 foot required setback to 16 feet, which would result in a four foot reduction in the rear setback. The proposed structures are depicted in the image to the right and are denoted in red. The tennis courts and playground would remain. Project timeline. The use permit application was received in June 2022, and the application was deemed complete on March 28th, the following year. The ZAB approved the use permit and the variance with an 8 to 1 vote on April 27, 2023, and the appeal was filed in May. The image on the right depicts the Willard Clubhouse in its existing condition. Revised findings and conditions. On November 3rd, 2022, the project was heard by the Landmarks Preservation Commission because it involves the demolition of a building that is over 40 years in age. The LPC took no action to initiate the property for local register consideration. A motion was made to include recommendations that would implement certain design features celebrating the history of the site. This motion failed by a three to six vote. The findings and conditions were revised to reflect this information. At the April 27 hearing, the ZAB heard concerns regarding the size and location of the proposed structure. Much of the discussion was focused on the question of whether ZAB could make the findings that a variance for a reduced rear setback was necessary to preserve a substantial property right. While the ZAB ultimately determined that the findings could be made, as noted on page four of your council report, staff has revised the findings to add additional background regarding the substantial property rights that are at issue. Specifically, the City of Berkeley has a substantial property right to maintain and upgrade its park facilities in order to meet demand. The project was designed based on community feedback received during the planning phase of the project. Community members requested large indoor space for programming, upgraded facilities such as restrooms, and ADA accessibility. Approval of the setback reduction from 20 feet to 16 feet would also allow for the reduction, uh, for the retention, sorry, of large on-site trees by reducing potential impacts to the root system and recreational open space and circulation pathways to maximize uh, to the maximum extent possible. The findings were and conditions were revised to reflect this information. Council appeal points. Appeal point number one. The appellant asserts that the replacement of the existing clubhouse with a larger building requires voter approval. Response. The parcels that comprise Willard Park were purchased by the city and have been in use as a public park since its formal dedication in 1971. Therefore, for the purposes of Measure L, Willard Park is a public park and not a public open space. Accordingly, the renovation and expansion of the clubhouse would not introduce a new use nor constitute a change in purpose. Council appeal point number two. The appellant asserts that a categorical exemption under the California Environmental Quality Act, or CEQA, should not apply because the use is changing and associated impacts such as parking and traffic would not, were not sufficiently addressed. Response. Firstly, CEQA includes a list of projects, classes, or types that have been determined to not have a significant effect on the environment and are therefore exempt from the provisions of CEQA. The ZAB determined that the project was categorically exempt from the provisions under Class 3, New Construction or Conversion of Small Structures, which includes a list of non-exclusive examples of small facilities or structures that comply with this exemption. 
the project is consistent with these examples. Further, none of the exemptions that would disqualify a project are applicable in this situation. With respect to the request for a traffic impact analysis, this type of report is not required because the project site is located within a quarter mile of a high quality transit corridor. Appeal point number three. The appellants assert that a change in use from clubhouse to community center and the intensification of use would result in impacts to the neighborhood, such as increased noise. As noted earlier in the presentation, the proposed project would not result in a change in use. The term clubhouse is not defined in the municipal code. The existing and proposed buildings both function as a community center because of their non-commercial recreational use. Adding a new building to be used for social, educational, and recreational activities would not change the use on the site. Please also note that the increased size of the facility would better accommodate existing demand and not create it. Regarding the potential for noise disturbance, the site is governed by the city's municipal code and is required to comply with the community noise ordinance. Appeal point number four. The appellants assert that reducing the minimum rear setback from 20 to 16 feet impacts the abutting property located south of the, of the project site at 2732 Hillegas Avenue, and this violates the owner's property rights. First, the existing setback between the two structures is currently 11 feet and 8 inches. Implementation of the project would actually increase the separation between the project and the residential building. Regarding the property rights of 2722 Hillegas and the assertion that the rear setback constitutes a taking, the project would not physically invade, restrict the use of, or require a land use exception such as an easement onto 2722 Hillegas or any other neighboring property in the area. All improvements are proposed on city land. Accordingly, this does not constitute a taking. Appeal points five through eight. The appellants disagree with the detriment findings specific to the interior yard, building height, rainwater drainage, and restroom configuration. I will briefly state our responses to these points. Setbacks are established by the municipal code, not historical use. Building heights are based on the number of stories, not height of a building. Regarded protected views, none are present on the project site. The ZAB imposes standards of conditions of approval, which address on-site drainage. The location of the proposed restroom was selected based on feedback received from the public and discussions with the Berkeley Police Department. Regarding the type of restroom, this is not under the purview of the Zoning Adjustments Board. Appeal points nine, participation. The appellants assert that the project plans were not previously made available to the community prior to the ZAB hearing. The plans were actually made available online one week prior to the hearing and forwarded to members of the community who had previously requested to be notified. Appellant point 10. The appellants assert that the story polls should, should have been, that story polls should have been installed on site. Story polls are required for main buildings and additions that exceed 14 feet in height and that are located within the hillside overlay district. This site is not located within the hillside overlay district. Therefore, story polls were not required. Staff recommendation. 
Staff recommends that the City Council conduct a public hearing and adopt a resolution affirming the Zoning Adjustments Board decision to approve a use permit and variance to adopt revised findings and conditions and dismiss the appeal. Alternative, alternative actions considered could be continue the public hearing, reserve or modify ZAB's decision, or remand the matter back to ZAB. That concludes staff presentation, and please let me know if you have any questions. Thank you very much. We'll hold questions until after the public comment portion of this public hearing. So with that, I'd like to now open the public hearing on the um, ZAB appeal for 2720 Hillegas Avenue. We'll first give the appellants five minutes to address the council. Is there an individual or group of individuals who will be representing the appellants? Do I turn it on? Testing? Okay. Too technical for me. I'm sorry. Um, I'm Vincent Casalena, and I am one of the appellants, and I'll be doing the presentation tonight. So I want to thank Mayor Aragine and the council for hearing our appeal tonight. For those council... No. There is no council member who is not here. So I've supplied you with some supplemental material. Um, and it talked in that it will talk about exactly where we feel the material in our appeal can be found. So here are the points that I'd like to raise. The Willard Neighborhood Association. Association has always supported using Willard Park as an after school and summer program site. We were instrumental in the original park design, including the inclusion of the clubhouse for children's recreation. The traditional and only use of the clubhouse has been for after school and summer programs. We would prefer to see those programs continue in a children's recreation center rather than a community center. Second, both sides of this appeal understand that the current clubhouse is too small for the after school and summer programs. Something larger is needed to accommodate increasing the number of children that can take part in those programs from 45 to 60. We hope we can all agree on what the size of a children's recreation center should be. We think three times the size of the current clubhouse or roughly 1,750 square feet is a reasonable size. In addition, we would like to see a lower height for the building facade that is more in keeping with the visual impact of the current clubhouse has on the remainder of Willard Park. Third, our concern is that the 3,300 square foot building was determined not based on the space needed for the 60 children, but rather on having a space large enough to host events and parties in the new facility. Those activities are stated in the rules for Berkeley Community Centers. This is entirely new use for Willard Park as such, and we believe that it does, in fact, run afoul of Measure L. And so did our lawyers. In a recent small, in a recent email, former council member Drosty asked people to send you a form letter in support of the project. She described the project as slightly expanding the footprint 
of the single story clubhouse, when in fact the current design is nearly six times the size of the clubhouse. It's the kind of misstatements that we've seen on this project for a long time. In addition, we feel that the applicant was disingenuous at the ZAB meeting when asked to discuss the impact of the new building on open space in Willard Park. The applicant confined their remarks to the several hundred square feet of green space that would be taken out of the grass area. We believe that Measure L deals with the loss of open space in the park and that as such, the applicant should have included all of the open space that would be lost about 20 times the amount that they put forward at the ZAB hearing. Fourth, the change of use, holding events and parties with over 100 participants and amplified music also runs afoul of CEQA, we believe, especially as it relates to parking, drop-off, pickup, and automobile traffic in the neighborhood. The neighborhood is already totally overparked. We have Julia Morgan, we have other things which happen in the neighborhood, adding another large venue would be very difficult. If the new structure is designated a community center, we would like a limitation to be placed on amplified music in the building after 8 p.m. and a limitation on party activities in the fenced off area behind the building after 8 p.m. We feel the discussion at ZAB regarding the variance for the rear setback never established the nexus between the reason for the setback and the project siting, and as such, the reasoning in approving the setback is flawed. Board member O'Keefe repeatedly brought that up at ZAB, and she described the reasoning for the passage of the variance as circular. We are concerned that the placement of the bathrooms presents a public safety hazard. Their proposed location is far away from the street where neighbors and police can monitor the activities. We propose the city investigate installing two Portland loos located directly adjacent to the north side of the tennis courts, a site that can be more easily monitored and is closer to utility hookups as well as much less expensive to build. Um, finally, we believe there is common ground for this project, a project that will be good for both the kids and the neighbors. We have been characterized as a small group of disgruntled neighbors. As part of our appeal, we have a map showing the 100 people who have signed on to the appeal who all live within 600 feet. Thank you very much. Thank you very much, Mr. Castellina. Um, there may be questions um, at the conclusion of the public hearing. Thank you. Okay, okay um, we'll now give the appellant um, five minutes to present. Before we do that, however, the director of planning has informed me that um, uh, staff needs to read some additional information to the record. So let's do that now before we go to the um, applicant. Thank you for the opportunity. City attorney has asked us to read these conditions into the record and to request that the city council uh, include these conditions uh, when they make their determination on the project. Exceptional circumstances. The variance is necessary to build the community center because of the unusual shape and size of the lot. The unusual fact that the yard is measured at odd points necessitates the setback because of the strict application of the zoning ordinance. Based on the definition of a front lot line, this requires a 20-foot rear setback along the stepped southern lot line. The residential lots that directly or are adjacent to the separate parcel 
are oriented so that their frontage is on Hillegas Avenue for the east parcels and the improved portion of Regent Street for the western parcels. This means that the northern and southern property lines of the remaining parcels on the block are side lot lines, whereas other properties on this full block are only required a four-foot setback from their north and south lot lines. The subject parcel is required to have a 20-foot rear setback. The location of the Coast Live Oak north of the building along the Hillegas frontage also requires a setback because it would reduce potential impacts to the root system. No material impact on health or safety. The variance will not be materially detrimental to the public welfare or injurious to nearby property or improvements for a number of reasons, including because the resulting 16-foot setback will in fact be larger than the existing 11-foot, 8-inch setback. Promotion of health, welfare, and safety. The variance will promote municipal health, welfare, and safety because the community center and the park is the site of a city of Berkeley after school uh, and summer day camp program for 45 children with a 25 children waiting list. The park is one of the few places in the area that provides city-owned public open space. This variance would allow the community center to serve 60 children with an after-school program, as well as provide the community with additional recreational opportunities, such as tennis, exercise classes, and other events for youth, as well as ancillary infrastructure, such as safe and adequate bathrooms. Okay. And, and Mayor, if, for the record, if the council can get a copy of that, so I could share screen when we come back after the close of the public hearings. So the members of the public can also see it um, since we're just reading this into the record tonight. Mr. Klein? Yeah, I just wanted to clarify that those are modifications to the findings. Those are not added conditions. Those are modifications to the findings. The for variance. Findings, correct. That's correct. And I will, I will, we will send you that over that text now. Great. Yeah. So then I could share screen with everyone. So everyone has, can review the language for the record. Um, and so council has it as well for its consideration. Um, so I'll, we'll do that um, at the conclusion of the um, the public hearing. Okay, let's now give the um, applicant, uh, City of Berkeley Parks, Recreation and Waterfront, uh, five minutes to present on the application. Um, thank you, Mayor and Council. Um, uh, sharing tonight is going to be Evelyn Chan. Evelyn, can you pull the presentation up? Um, let's restart the clock, please. Let's not start the clock yet. I think that she needs to, she's going to sh do the PowerPoint and stuff, but we'll call you up after the, um, the presentation. Okay, fantastic. Um, so here's an overview. I'm Scott Ferris, by the way, uh, Parks, Recreation, and Waterfront Director, and with me is Evelyn Chan, a civil, um, supervising civil engineer. Here, just for a quick overview of the park, uh, Willard Park is three acres. Uh, the park was constructed in the early 70s. Um, wow. Here you see the proposed um, uh, new uh, proposed size and location of the facility and the restroom. Uh, the facility is number eight. Please, I'm running this meeting. We will stop. Can we increase, is there any way we can increase the volume so everyone hears? 
Um, so we'll restart the clock. Let me let me help run the proceedings. I but we do want to make sure everyone can hear. So just give us a minute. Mr. Ferris, can you speak again so we can see if we hear you better? Uh, how about now? Oh, yeah. We All hear right. You. All right. Okay. All right. So on the screen, you see a, um, a map of the park, um, and seven and eight are the seven is the proposed restroom, eight is the proposed clubhouse. Uh, Willard Park is three acres. Um, the park was constructed in the early 70s. And you also, you see the old clubhouse here is number five and the restroom is right next to it, number six. Next slide. Um, so the city's recreation programs are offered throughout the city. These programs include, you know, zero to five, after school care, summer camps, free lunch, variety classes, special events, and a lot more. Um, many of our programs are free and heavily subsidized by the city's general fund. Uh, in that they are either free or offer 50 or 100% scholarships. Um, many of our programs have long waiting lists, and uh, the only limits we really have in terms of programming are space for programming and general fund dollars. In FY23, the city gave away close to $400,000 in program scholarships for recreation funds. In 2015, the Parks and Recreation Commission, led by Katrin Bostrom and Susan McKay, analyzed our city park and facility resources. And in a document titled uh, Berkeley Parks Planning for Equitable Future, they concluded that the Southeast Berkeley had the smallest amount of park and facilities space in the city, while it had the largest expanding population. And by expanding these spaces, the, the expanding these spaces was the key to serve this population. Next slide. To determine the preferred plan, um, the public process included five large meetings and eight focus group meetings. Uh, project announcements and postings were on the web page. Emails to the project list uh, went out to T1 emails. Uh, city announcements, oh, about 2,700 mailers went out to the community. Physical postings, um, park canvassing and at public events, and so on. Next slide. The planning process for this project resulted in a preferred plan um, that you see above on this slide, uh, a 4,340-square-foot building. Uh, this process was, was limited by the desire to keep as much open space as possible while keeping and protecting the high-value trees, the redwood, the live oak, and the maple near the location. Unfortunately, like many T1-funded projects lately, we've had to reduce the size of the project um, because of the increased cost to construction. Uh, the building went from uh, about um, from about 4,300 square feet to about 3,500 square feet, and essentially went from 27 feet, uh, 2,700 feet of programmable space to 1,600 feet of programmable space. Um, and by programmable space, I mean the two the two large buildings. The the rest of the the building is just um, you know office restrooms, small kitchen area and utilities. Um, in two, 2017, in phase one of T1, the city council allocated funding for the conceptual plan of the replacement of Willard. And in phase two of T1, city council allocated $7 million to Willard, the African-American Holistic Resource Center, $7 million to MLK Yap facility, and $3 million to South Berkeley Center. 
to fund um, new facilities or renovated facilities in South Berkeley. Both phase one and two recommendations uh, were um, also um, supported by the PRW and PW commissions. Um, next slide. Okay. Um, so here you see uh, the site plan option without the variance um, on the bottom that with the 20 foot setback and the variance where we're uh, applying for um, with the setback, the, the 16 foot setback above. And so you see the difference between the impact on the, uh, the, the, the Willard Green. Next slide. So we are removing um, trees here. We're removing um, seven trees of the ones with the X's down uh, at the bottom of the slide in the south area around um, around the, uh, the, the what will be the new clubhouse. These ex seven existing trees are a combination of sweet gum and flowering pear and river birch um, and um, all and and maintenance and all trees that we no longer plant in this city two of them have structural uh, issues and uh, significant structural issues and um, we this is the as we are doing lately with a lot of our parks we're replanting their trees uh, this is our planting plan that's been developed by our arborists and shared with the community um, this plan uh, will uh, plant a bunch of um, a bunch of trees in the park, 24 to be exact, although we're, we may remove one or two for view, but um, mostly all natives um, and uh, are, are a good fit for a park. Mr. Ferris, your time is up. Out of fairness to the other party, I'm going to ask if you can um, finish your presentation. The council may have questions, which could afford you the opportunity to supplement your remarks, but we want to afford everyone the same amount of time since those are the published rules for the conduct of this hearing. I'm done. So thank you very much. Okay. Thank you. All right. There may be questions. We'll, and we'll hold those questions until after the um, public comment portion. Okay. Can I get a show of hands? How many, um, how many people would like to speak as part of the public uh, hearing? Okay. Um, as I anticipated, um, which is why we called this special meeting is we, we um, anticipated there would be um, uh, very active participation in the public hearing. So um, as stated on the published agenda, um, if there are more than 10 persons interested to speak, um, the presiding officer will limit public comment for all speakers to one minute per speaker. Speakers are permitted to yield their time to another speaker. Whoever knows one speaker should have more than four minutes. So if, um, if other people yield you their minute, you could speak for a maximum of four minutes. Um, we're going to go first to those uh, members of the public here in the boardroom at 1231 Addison um, to, to begin the public comment portion, and then we'll go to speakers on Zoom. So who would like to... Get started. Uh, please, and whoever would like to, sp to speak, please uh, come forward to the podium. I'm in no particular order. Thank you. And thank you for being here. Okay. Hello, everybody. Uh, I'm not used to this, but uh, I live at 2736 Hillegas. I am two lots south of the park. I've lived there for 13 years. 
Parking is a huge issue all the time. I get my driveway blocked. Noise, vagrants issue all the time. I'm concerned about the setback issue. Is there going to be parties behind the building right in front of my property? There's the big apartment building that the park bounces the noise off of. So I'm right in between. The trees, all of the trees are going to be, what, moved somewhere else? So then the setback plus 17 feet in height effectively blocks my entire view of my prop, my property, the park that I used to, that I love. So I'm just concerned about the impacts and also the lack of transparency. In a, I get the sense that this is a steamrolling operation, and for certain people, that's what. Perfect. Bless you. Thank you. Okay, my name is Debbie Dill, and I have lived one and a half blocks from Willard Park for the past 14 years. I usually go there a couple times a week for yoga in the park. It's often crowded with dogs, children, picnickers. The tot lot is well used. Many local residents who don't have outdoor space at their homes or dorms hang out at the park. It's a gem of a park. But I'm unhappy that the people supporting a large community center are falsely claiming that those against such a center are anti-children. I support a new and enlarged clubhouse that can accommodate more children for after-school care and summer programs. I made use of such programs when my children were small. What I don't support is a large community center that would encroach on the encroach on the often crowded green space. A community center would create evening noise in a quiet neighborhood and exacerbate already difficult parking issues. Please support the appeal and approve a clubhouse for the kids and not a community center. Thank you. I'm uh, Harvey Smith, author of Berkeley in the New Deal. The proposed expansion of the club at Willard Park, together with the city's endorsement of the proposal to develop a national register of historic uh, places site, People's Park, ignores both the need for open space in the South Campus area and every international and municipal standard for urban open space. The World Health Organization and the American Planning Association have standards for urban green space and outdoor recreation areas that are not being met in Berkeley's densest neighborhoods. The California Government Code describes some of the more important uses of open space. The open space and recreation element of Berkeley's general plan establishes a policy framework for open space. Berkeley's 1986 Measure L requires a vote of the people to use or to develop a public open space or park. Unfortunately, all these policies that would address the need for open space have been ignored. Reducing open space of Willow Park makes little sense if measured by planning standards or just plain common sense. Thank you. I yield my time to Christine. My name is Christine Scherfer, and I have lived within walking distance of Willard Park for over 30 years. And I've gone to Willard Park with my kids, alone, with friends for hundreds of times. I want to speak to the experience of being at the park and what will change if the green area is made smaller. I'm in favor of a moderate expansion 
of the existing clubhouse, and I'm in favor of continuation of the after-school program, of course. But I do want to speak here about the diminishing of public space, the diminishing, diminishing of nature within the city that will happen as a result of this expanded model. When my three children went to Willard, I always loved taking them because I could walk, no car necessary. Once we got there, I would plop down on the blanket with a book and they would scamper off doing what is so hard to do these days, free play. There are not that many places in Berkeley where that is possible. So they would go off. I could read my book, look up once in a while. I didn't have to micromanage them because I could see them. Completely engaged in their outdoor activities, they were never expressed an interest in the clubhouse. This is California. We don't need to be indoors. We can be outdoors most every day of the year. So I don't want to talk about the past, but the future. I do care about children and youth whose access to the park, to the green area, to nature is shrinking by the minute. Who gets to walk to a playground these days? Who gets to make friends in the, among, under the open skies, run freely in, in grass? Children and youth are cooped up in buildings all day long. They're closely supervised by adults all the time. Yet we know that they thrive in nature where they hear birds and feel the wind on their face. We don't need bigger buildings for kids and youth. For future generations, we need to preserve the pockets of nature, like our precious Willard Park. Thank you. Thank you very much. Marcia Levinson, I support the appeal and give my time to Mary Ora. My name is Andre Carey, and I yield my time. Thank you, Mary Arguin, and the council members for this opportunity to speak about this appeal. I'm Mary Oram and have lived across from Will, uh, on across Hilligus Avenue from Willard Park since 1986. Uh, since we don't have story poles, I've tried to figure out how to convey the size of the building that the Parks and Recreation Department wants to build to replace the current clubhouse. Since they declined the request for story poles so people can see the size of the proposed structure, I've been trying to think of an existing building everyone is familiar with that we can use as a basis of comparison. I think most people are familiar with the Brazilian room in Tilden Park. It's an event space that can be rented out for private functions. According to their website, the meeting room at the, uh, at the Brazilian room is 32 feet by 54 feet for a total square footage of 1,728 square feet. The two meeting rooms and the proposed design for the replacement of the clubhouse when combined total 1,700 square feet, virtually the same size. So the city wants to build a structure with a combined meeting room in Willard Park that is approximately the same size as the Brazilian room. Keep in mind that Willard Park is the smallest of all Berkeley city parks. The city's rationale for building something of this size is so that the children's programs can accommodate 15 more children going from 45 to 60. There is nothing said in the current proposal about renting the facility for private events. But why do you think the city wants to spend around $5 million to accommodate 15 more children? The neighbors and park users are concerned that a facility this large with a full kitchen will be used as a rental for private functions, a use that is completely different from the current children's clubhouse creating traffic and parking problems in the neighborhood where there are already more residential parking permits issued than the number of street-on-street -street spaces available. Uh, the Brazilian room in their facilities description says, 
they can accommodate 250 people for events where people are going to be standing or 150 where they're going to be seated. Um, this is what we're concerned about. The park is in the middle of a very dense residential neighborhood. There is no real buffer between the proposed replacement for the clubhouse and the nearest neighboring houses. It is not an appropriate location for a large structure that, if it is built, can and we fear will be used for private party rentals. This is the crux of my concern. Let's build a great clubhouse for the children of Berkeley, but not a party venue. Thank you for voting in favor of the neighbor's appeal to send this project back to Parks and Rec for a redesign we'll that will take into account the neighborhood's concerns. Thank you. Thank you. My name is Zach Stewart, and I'm a 94-year-old practicing landscape architect. I did Shorebird Park, by the way, for the city of Berkeley. About 40 years ago, I was asked to mediate a project in Willard Park. The city planned a 3,500-square-foot clubhouse in the middle of the Wilder, Willard Park open space. 100 neighbors wanted a much smaller building on the edge of the Wheeler parcel. Now, over 40 years later, the city has proposed a 3,500 square foot clubhouse in the Willard Park open space. And 100 neighbors again want a smaller building. If you look at a picture of the building, too big. Berkeley, particularly the south side, is sorely in need of open space, and the designer of Central Park, Frederick Lowe Olmsted, said, open space serves far more different people and activities than buildings do. Hello, I'm Earthworm. I yield my time. Uh, hello, my name is George Beyer. Uh, thank you all for your service. A little bit about me. I, uh, I was a president of the Willard Neighborhood Association for about 15 years. I ran for city council, I think, five times. <laughs> anyway, yeah. Anyway, the number of requests I got in all that time for an expanded clubhouse is exactly zero. And I thought, well, you know, the city did all these focus groups. And so I looked in the packet. I looked for hard data. I found absolutely none. And all my friends said, hey, we don't want a big clubhouse. I was like, you know, anecdotes are not data. So he said, hey, let's do a survey. So for $10, we put things on a poll and we gave them QR codes. And we got 347 responses. And here are the results. Do you support or oppose the expansion? 70% oppose the expansion. Where do you live? 70% live within six blocks of the park. What size would you like? 70% supported doubling the size of the clubhouse. How did you hear about the expansion of the park? Over half said they actually heard from the poster itself. And then we asked the last question, which was, would you support a separate bathroom in the park? And 75% said, yes, they would actually support a separate bathroom separate from the clubhouse in the park. And if you Google the park, it says Willard Park is a tiny park in the city of Berkeley. And uh, 
it just as an aside, you know, 25 years ago, Bill Lipsky walked me through that park and <laughs> showed me every cobblestone and all the love and the care and the tenderness that went into, it, went into building it. And it would really be a shame uh, to destroy his legacy. Thank you. Oops, sorry. Uh, good evening, Mayor and Council. My name is Carla Woodworth. I'm here to give you a brief history of Willard Park. The city began purchasing parcels of land in 1957. In 1968, HUD funds were found to buy the remaining property needed. 17 parcels in total were bought to create this park. In 1969, the, the land was cleared of existing homes and an interim park was developed. In August 1970, the Willard Park Citizens Committee approved final drawings for park development, working with Zach Stewart, who you just heard from, a landscape architect who designed Berkeley Shorebird Park. In the 1990s, Friends of Willard Park, working with landscape architect Michael O'Leary, who you're going to hear from, spearheaded park improvements, including the redesign and building of the Totlot play area. The neighborhood has a long history working collaboratively with the city in support of Willard's well-loved well open space. Thanks for your time. Good evening, City Council. I yield my time. I yield to Michael Leary. I do as well. Christopher Kroll, I yield one minute. Uh, hello. hello, hello, everybody. Good evening. Um, my name is Michael O'Leary, and I was hired by the Friends of Willard Park in the early 90s to help them uh, re-envision the park and to, to solve problems that were happening as a result of homelessness, uh, crack epidemic, AIDS epidemic, and a, general, and a lack of facilities at the park. Um, the tot lot at the time was minuscule, and it was located directly next to the, uh, to the clubhouse. We spent about three or four years all together talking with neighbors, working out plans, raising money to rebuild the park or rebuild the tot lot. And as a result of a lot of people in the room here, both their contributions and their hard work, they came out to the park and actually labored in the park to build a lot of what's out there. So the edges, the entire south edge was rebuilt. The play field was rebuilt. We spent hours and hours and hours with various users defining the edge of the park. And that pathway, we put story poles, we put cones out, we, taught, we had the Frisbee players playing. We had kids playing beside the Frisbee players. We located the tot lock, I think, in four different places before we finally arrived at where it was, um, where it would fit. Um, and it's kind of, it's humorous that, uh, that no one wants to put up story poles to gauge the location or shape of the clubhouse right now. I think that's kind of. That's total. It's completely worth the effort. And if you want people to buy into a large clubhouse, you should absolutely demand to have put up story poles and see what's what's going to be there. Um, there's a, a lot that's hidden underneath the ground in the park that we built there. There's a, a drainage system uh, in that playfield. There's uh, the pathway itself is very very heavily constructed with steel with uh, rebar. We built a path, path to last for many, many, many years. 
Uh, it was built to, to handle truck traffic and, and the clay soils. It's got a lot of steel in it. Uh, to, to tear it up will be very expensive. To replace it in kind will be very expensive. The cobblestones were laid by hand by neighbors. <laughs> uh, contractors donated time to do that pathway, to build the, to do the grading, to build the light posts, lampposts, to build the tot lot. You know, uh, Bill Lipsky, who, who founded the group and was a true gentleman, and if you were to describe him in a word, it would be empathy. He really listened to everybody who came to the park, who wanted to be a friend of the park, and who wanted to bring something, to bring an activity or to bring a use, to bring their spirit to the park. And uh, we all were about activating the park as much as possible. There were sentiments to push people out and not include people from other sources, but we thought it's a public park and it should serve the public. So that, that was Bill's goal. And that was our goal. And um, over the years, he um, he kept he was a he was a computer program programmer and did uh, data collection. So he kept track of all the different people who worked on the park, the volunteers and and contractors. And in today's dollars, um, the the cash contributions were made where there was one hundred and twenty six thousand dollars raised. Uh, in in-kind work and labor, $294,000 worth of work was raised. And this, the state uh, and county funds that we finally uh, granted to use in building this hot lot and some of the grading was, was uh, $550,000. So in total, just by listening to people, by uh, having some empathy for their concerns, especially those people who live close to the park, he, uh, Bill raised and basically brought to the city a million dollars worth of improvements for, for this open space. And uh, just incidentally, I mean, there are several things, but um, incidentally, uh, Alex Steck, who lives at the corner at the house ac across from the, the uh, tot lot, um, we worked quite a bit with him and he was a huge supporter. And at first he was not a supporter, uh, but he came around and as in part of that, we really realized that the, you know, an absolute footprint for the clubhouse would be in the area of 2,000 to 2,500 square feet. Uh, and, and we had envisioned potentially expanding the clubhouse and adding a second level. So in total, the clubhouse could accommodate maybe a 4,000 square foot program. But as part of that, the setbacks that we established were kind of put in, poured in concrete. Uh, the The concrete that's out there now, that concrete circle, essentially was the limit and the boundary of what the clubhouse would could evolve to. And so we designed in setbacks and planted those trees, and they've matured and I think add a lot to the part to this day. But it, it may give you some. Uh, kind of guidance in what to do and asking for design changes with the current, because we're, I think everybody likes the clubhouse and wants to see it improve, but it's, it's not just kind of in the wrong place. It's too big. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Councilor Hunter. Sir, I'm sorry, if I could just ask you one question, please. Thank you. Thank you for that history. It's very in interesting and it's nice to know how much 
the community has contributed to the park. So it's appreciated. Um, given what you said about the path, it's very reinforced. It was thoughtfully placed. Yeah. Um, do you think it would be better if the building were sited further back from it, were pulled south? Absolutely, yeah, and further east. So the space that's designed... I mean, I could critique the project, but and, and I just I do want to let you know that your time was up. Yeah. So if you can be succinct in but, the reply, yeah, pulling it back and moving it closer to Hillegas would be an obvious thing to do, and, oh, okay. and angling it slightly. Three All right. Things. So one question about that: um, yeah. I I'm looking at that as well. Um, I'm a little curious, and I'll be asking staff some questions about it. But that would probably require the redwood tree. No. To be removed? No, 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 it would be fine. I looked at it really closely. I'm out this weekend. There are two trees that should be removed, that can be removed, and you could accommodate this footprint. The, the redwood tree will be fine. Mm, so you think that a, tr a building can be sited under the drip line of the redwood tree? Yes. Okay. What if that weren't true and the tree had to be removed? Would you still think the building should be moved? Yes. Okay, and thank plant, you. you could Appreciate plant, that. The redwood trees grow for fairly quickly. <laughs> you could plant another one. But they're very durable, and the drip line's not an absolute when you're working up to a redwood tree. We did the, incidentally, we did the Derby Hilligus Corner. I don't know if you know. I, that. I think you've answered my question. Okay, thank you. Thank you very much. But uh, check out the concrete footings at that entryway that go past the redwood trees. That was thank done uh, 25 years ago, and see how much they've moved and how. Well, the trees are done. Okay. Next speaker, please. Thank you for taking my comments. I'm Rebecca Tracy. I lived at 2611 Derby Street for 54 years. My youngest child practically grew up in that clubhouse and the uh, recreation programs in the park. My vision of the park was changed during COVID when people couldn't go anywhere. And the park was awash with one or two people gathering on blankets to get out of their apartments. It was the one safe place they could go during quarantine. You, from there, they could see the sky, they could see the sunset, they could see the hills. Uh, they could see distant trees as well as up close trees. So that view and that grass and that open space is absolutely critical to mental health of this large transient student population that we have, as well as all of us. So thank you for your time. Thank you. I'm Frances Starn. I live at 2619 which is half a block from the park. And I've lived there for more than 50 years, about the same age as the park, in fact. Um, so I have learned a great deal tonight from the, about the history of the park, even though I was so close to it in the first place. Uh, and I'm grateful for that. But I'm here to say that in my observation of 50 years, I have seen the park used for so many ways from the obvious one which my children and grandchildren have all participated in the camp and the, and the after school programs 
uh, to every kind of, of yoga and sport. And I think my favorite uh, was seeing a high wire uh, practice, which was set up in the middle of the park, and you could actually watch the, um, the progress of the balance. So the, the variety of use by everyone from the top to students is obvious, and I, I hope you'll consider prioritizing that. Thank you. I'm Christina Montok, and I'm giving my time to Oleg Stepp. My name is Kim Gahomic, and I'm also giving my time to Alex Stepp. There's also somebody online. Who's the person, sir? Uh, Thomas Michaelis, M-I-C-H-E-H-E-W. Yes, I see them. Thank you. Okay, so can I have four minutes then? Yes. Okay, thank you. Good evening, and thank you for allowing me to speak on the subject of the appeal. I'm going to focus today on setback issues. Uh, um, perhaps not all of them. I know that they've been discussed, but um, uh, I have something to add, I believe. Uh, before the meeting, I've um, handed the handout, which is 15 pages. Unfortunately, I've been told I cannot share it online, so we'll have to go by page number and uh, the public won't be able to see it. On page one, we see a uh, bird's eye view of the uh, city block that contains the Willard Park. This is how it exists today. If we move to page two, this is um, not the actual photo of the, the same block as it existed before 1970, but it would be something like that. It was covered with homes. And uh, we realized uh, not long time ago that it is not obvious to everyone that this is the case. Some people actually thought that we residences around the park were built up against the park, and now we have to suffer consequences. It was actually otherwise. There was a full city block full of residences, and some homes were removed or demolished, and uh, the park was created in the midst of existing neighborhood. For that reason, the assumption is that whatever solutions are put in that park, they're going to be harmonious and, and uh, considering the, the needs of the neighbors. Otherwise, we'll be in a sort of constant war, and we don't want to do that. Uh, if, we move, if we move to page four, uh, we see um, this is a um, so-called Sanford's map, which was used to, these used to be created um, for the purpose of um, uh, insurance industry. This shows homes that existed, outlines of the homes that existed before 1970. Uh, you know, some of them exist today. Uh, you can see that... Um, Actually, on the next page, which would be page five, you can see the um, that um, both the east and the west row of homes are nicely aligned to conform to the uh, front setbacks. And the arrow is showing the direction from front of the lot to the back of the lot. I'm moving now to the uh, page six, which essentially is the same slide, but it now shows where the park is located. So that's the thick line. And uh, we have the star where the clubhouse, today's clubhouse, the, the old one is located. That's again the Sanford's map. If you were to visit the county assessor's map, which I've done, uh, you will get a map that is shown on page seven. This page shows these lots, 
and um, there's a broken line where they're part of the park. However, these lots still do exist, not as a concept, e even though there's a parcel, uh, they've been combined into a parcel the, uh, sort of to represent uh, for taxation purposes, that's what parcels are for. That's what the tax uh, assessor's uh, uh, office staff told me. They do uh, exist as uh, separate lots. Okay, um, the same map, page eight now, where we have uh, this um, uh, five stars showing uh, abutting properties and uh, the odd looking star, which shows for the, uh, the location of the clubhouse. Um, the county assessor's map now uh, on next page shows the uh, uh, direction of set, uh, uh, setbacks, uh, the, the arrow points from the front of the lot to the, back, uh, to the rear of the lot. Uh, on page 10, we see that according to the plans proposed by the uh, Parks and Recreation, the applicant, uh, one of the arrows is sort of pointing uh, in the wrong direction. Well, that's where the... Um, can I just say a few more words or? Okay. Your time is up, but if you can make your final Yeah, very, 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 very quickly. Yes. So um, that uh, arrow translates into a four uh, foot uh, uh, required setback, which is shown on page 11. Uh, we can skip page uh, 12, which um, quotes uh, from BMC or Berkeley Municipal called relevant definitions. Um, Next page 13 shows that uh, the required setbacks for zone R2, where we are located, 20 feet front and rear setbacks. Um, according to BMC, setbacks are to be calculated as shown on page 14. And on page 15, we have a conclusion, which essentially um, says that from the perspective of the uh, property of 2731 Regent, the butting lot, the one where the uh, clubhouse is located, um, uh, should uh, th there should be a rear setback of 20 feet, not four feet. And that's where the problem is. We believe for that reason that the uh, uh, setback rules have been violated and the design can be rendered invalid and, and it encroaches on the property rights of the owners of 2731 Regent. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Okay, uh, yes, sir. My name is Rick Spade. I live at 2550 Ellsworth since April of 75. Um, I think it's important. The operative word here is that it's a neighborhood park, and I think the neighborhood should have the most say in what goes on there. I'm concerned, first of all, with kids. I think I have no problem with expanding services for kids or amenities for kids. I think this idea of having this grandiose venue for parties and stuff is a complete overreach. Um, and I think uh, it seems to me I'm getting a steamroller approach, too. I think we need to slow down the process. I'd feel better if I knew that they had tried to. I think before we eliminate open green space in Berkeley, which is shrinking as fast as the RLC, um, I think we need to. I'd feel better if I felt that they had looked at all kinds of other options first before reducing the space. Like, for instance, I lived at Hearst for a long time. I played tennis on a tennis court above a parking structure. Why can't they build this thing where the tennis courts are now and put the tennis courts on the roof? You wouldn't lose anything to tennis. You wouldn't lose any green space. And you might be able to 
reopen Willard Swim Center again and combine it with that and really have have something there for people to come to. Thank you. Good evening. My name is Jerry Zoja Malik, and I'm an educator of over 20 years. But more importantly, I have a husband. His name is Saniata, and he has attended, he attended the Wilder Park Recreation during his youth. And every time we pass that center, he's like, that's where I went and I learned how to swim. Every single time. But he's an African-American male who's now getting his PhD. And the thing that I think makes a difference between him and other people of his peers who didn't have an opportunity to go to those free programs was that he was able to go to those free programs. But the ones that missed out because of capacity, it's a shame. Think about it. 40 to 50 years, 15 youth per year missed out on opportunities that we could have remedied that 40 to 50 years ago if we would have made the, uh, the facility big enough to impact them. Those are life-changing opportunities for youth that we can now remedy it and make that capacity happen for our future. Green Space Berkeley is a blessed green town. Far none. I traveled all over the world, and this is a blessed green town. And that building is not going to change that. Thank you. Greetings. Um, my name is Babalawa, and I am a former user of the space of, and grew up at the Willard Clubhouse as well. I'm also someone that provides services to young children and have been on the other side of seeing kids who need the space. Long wait lines and, and things like that um, is, is very important. I'm in deep favor of the use of the space and of the expansion. One of the things that I want to point out is Berkeley's history as well and Berkeley's history of marginalization. Berkeley has another history of redlining and another history of disparities. I want to thank you for taking this step and moving forward to right the historical wrongs that have happened in Berkeley, giving these young people a chance and an opportunity by expanding the space and using the beautiful space for these young folks. I'm in support of the building and in support of the programming for our children and making better space for all of Berkeley to enjoy. Thank you. Thank you. Yes, um, I am not from the neighborhood, but I am a long citizen of Berkeley. And um, I'm here of concern um, just on the way over here tonight. There were not people that are here in the room about the neighborhood park, but it was filled with people from who, who knows from wherever. And I see as an outsider from the neighborhood, but as a Berkeleyan, that our council is needing to, or in most cases, monetizing over and over our town without us really understanding what's going on and the impacts. This park is very valuable in regards to what has been happening in our town, the density improve, in, 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 increase, the student increase. It's a park that is wide open. Tonight, it was wide open. People in the center, people on the side. A community center is going to be for your budget, not for the citizens. Thank you. Are there any other um, members of the public here in the boardroom at 1231 Addison who'd like to testify as part of this public hearing? Before we go to the speakers on Zoom, we do one last call for in-person speakers. So anyone who is not 
spoken who's here in the boardroom who'd like to speak. If so, please come forward to the podium. Okay, we'll, we'll now turn to the speakers on Zoom. If you're on Zoom and would like to speak as part of the public hearing, um, please raise your hand um, and you'll be at the speaker's queue. Okay, Paul Tuleha, if I can be made a co-host so I can help facilitate public comment, thank you. Okay, Paul Tuleha, you should now be able to speak. I, uh, am I on? Yes, we can hear you. Okay, thanks. So I am the son of the owner of 2732 Hilligus who wanted to be at this meeting or participate by Zoom, but she's in the hospital this evening. Uh, we are for a, an increase, a moderate increase in the expansion of the clubhouse, but this is much too large. Uh, you're building a new building and with a new building, you need to abide by the setback requirements uh, that are afforded for everyone in the city and uh, not having the story poles to show all citizens which trees would be cut down and the height of the new project and how that would impact all people uh, was really uh, strange that it wasn't put in. Uh, once again, we are for uh, after school use, but this uh, community center that wants to be built, the 50% increase in height from the existing building is uh, very hard uh, to pill to swallow. So please send this back to Zab or whomever for review. Thank you. Our next speaker is Jack Sawyer, followed by Mark Headland. Jack Sawyer, you should not be able to speak. Please unmute yourself if you wish to speak. Okay. We can Good hear evening. Thank you all for being here and listening to this important thing. This is something that the neighbors need to decide. And the neighborhood uh, here has been outstanding in, it, in terms of its response and uh, the history going back 50 years, um, people who've been here that long and people who've uh, given the uh, um, landscape the char character, the, uh, um, the, uh, the, re the reason that, that people have to, to stay here is to enjoy this for the sake of the children for the sake of the people, for the sake of everyone, for the sake of the whole city of Berkeley. Thank you. Thank you. Our next speaker is Mark Hedlund, followed by Andrew Talbot. Mark Hedlund, you should now be able to speak. Thank you. My name is Mark Hedlund, and I'm a District 8 resident. Please reject the appeal. As it turns out, I live a few blocks from Bullard Park, but I want to point out that you are primarily hearing tonight from people who live directly near the park. You're not hearing from people all over Berkeley and the East Bay who also benefit from the park and its facilities. When I lived in District 2, far from Willard, we brought our kids to Willard regularly and benefited from it enormously. You should reject this appeal because people who can afford to live within a few hundred feet of the park should not exclude the remainder of our city and region from the park's benefits and facilities. 
childcare, community events, and improved facilities that all benefit the public as a whole. Thank you. Our next speaker is Andrew Talbot, followed by Mark Lowe. Hi, yes, um, I wanna urge the council to reject the appeal as well. Um, you know, it, it was apt to hear from one of the first speakers accidentally referred to the park as their property. Um, I think what we've heard is from a lot of intransigent transigent cranks who've decided that this park is what they need and what they want, but are refusing to allow more space for kids who could also benefit from the park. Um, you know, what we've heard is that they want a space, they, they claim that they want a space that um, will operate for the kids as well, but what they're doing is delaying. They're forcing everyone to spend their time on the Monday night to show up to have this discussion because they want to delay. We've already heard that the park, the building is sized down because we've wasted so much time that costs have gone up. Um, if they continue to delay, we'll probably end up with nothing. Uh, the city passed this bond, elected this council. Let's do our jobs and build a great place for our kids. Thank you. Thank you. Our next speaker is Mark Lowe, followed by Marjorie Alford. Mark Lowe, you should now be able to speak. Mark Lowe, if you'd like to speak, please unmute yourself. Okay, now can you hear me? Yes, we can. Thank you. Okay, I'm sorry. All right, yes. Uh, well, I'm a 30-year resident of uh, the neighborhood. And um, I just wanted to say that I, I do hope that the city council tonight is hearing the compassion of not only the neighborhood, but really the, the whole city, with a few exceptions of people who really want to see an increase in this childcare program, which is fine. I don't think that's ever been an issue. I think this project was initiated under false pretenses and uh, the whole city process really was not complete. Uh, you know, we're spending, I believe the budget was $8 million. And I'm concerned about the timeline and construction. You know, city projects are five to six years to do. Anyway, I think you need to listen to the compassion that people have for this open space. It's a beautiful park. Thank you. Our next speaker is Marjorie Alford, followed by Stephen Bourne. Uh, hello, thank you for this opportunity to speak. Uh, I'm Marjorie Alford, and I live about, I don't know, six to eight blocks south of um, Willard Park, which is beautiful. And um, I'm here just to say, you know, I really favor the... Um, alternative that was presented by the Willard Neighborhood Association for a building with a smaller footprint and saving more open space along with the Portland Luz closer to Derby. I didn't take the um, survey that George Byer talked about, but I agree with the vast majority. Um, I question the evidence of finding community demand for such a big building. And I think if it's true that the smaller size building plus open park space can accommodate 60 kids for aftercare and summer programs, then you shouldn't affirm the ZAB findings for a variance. Thank you very much for your attention to this. Our next speaker is Stephen Bourne, followed by Carrie Gray. 
Stephen Bourne. If you would like to speak, please unmute yourself. Stephen Bourne, the floor is yours. Please unmute yourself. Okay, we'll come back to you. We'll go next to Carrie Gray. Hi, my name is Carrie Gray and I yield my time to Lori Drosty. And there's one more person here. Hi, my name is Corey Gray Drosty and I give my time to Lori Drosty. Thank you. Okay, thank you. Um, and I see Lori Drosty, our former colleague has raised her hand. Um, so we'll go next to Lori Drosty. Hi, Council. Thank you so much for hearing me this evening. I call today to urge you to deny the appeal of the Willard Clubhouse project. Over 160 neighbors and parents wrote in urging you to reject this appeal. This decision is crucial for preserving our precious green space, providing affordable childcare for our children, and creating a beautiful community space that ensures ADA accessibility. The Clubhouse Project represents a golden opportunity to en enhance the well-being and inclusivity of our community, and I firmly believe that its approval is in the best interest of all residents. Throughout the process of community engagement, led by Director Scott Ferris and his staff, constructive meetings have been held in good faith. The feedback received from the public showcased a diversity of opinions, but the proposed design by staff and consultants strikes a delicate balance that respects a wide range of preferences. Let me be clear, this is the smallest the clubhouse can get and continue to serve its programmatic goals. The passionate voices of PTA presidents emphasize the need for a larger clubhouse to foster community engagement and offer more childcare opportunities, addressing the hundreds of children currently on wait lists across Berkeley. Yet the clubhouse isn't just for children and parents, it's for our entire community. While a handful of neighbors preferred a smaller version or no changes at all, the proposed smallest design once again is the one that can adequately serve our children and seeks the middle ground. Moreover, the current restroom location was thoughtfully chosen to avoid encroaching on green spaces while providing a much needed public amenity. Widespread support from neighbors and parents alike demonstrates the viability of this choice, while alternative locations were met with strong opposition. And I'll just add that um, this, the bathroom location by and large was the most favored location during our public meetings. Lastly, I wanna stress that this phase of T1 aims to prioritize South Berkeley, ensuring fair distribution of resources to support our community's need. The modest expansion, and I do believe it is modest, it's, is less than 3,500 3, square feet. And it's a crucial step towards fostering inclusivity. Notably, all other recreational facilities in Berkeley exceed 10,000 square feet and effectively serve our residents. In light of these considerations, I respectfully request your support in denying the appeal and proceeding with the Willard Clubhouse project as planned. Thank you for your time and consideration. I wanna thank everyone, uh, including those opposed and in support for weighing in on this important matter. Have a good evening. Thank you very much. Okay, we'll go next to another former city council member, Gordon Wozniak. Thank you, Mayor. Can you hear me? 
Yes. Um, I, I want to strongly support or suggest that the council deny appeal and build this clubhouse. There's a great need for younger families with young kids where both spouses are working for aftercare and summer camps. The, the concern about the loss of open space, I think is really overstressed. The, well, the, the building is going from like occupying 1% to 2.5% of the, 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 the area of the, of the park. That means the, the open space is, just, is, only, is still going to be 97.5%. This is a huge open space. And lastly, Willard is a sizable park. It's in the top, it's like 22 of all Berkeley's 50 parks in size. It's above the median. And it serves a large region, not just the immediate neighbors. And though there may be some inconveniences to the immediate neighbors, I think this expansion will benefit the larger Berkeley. So thank you for letting me speak to you. Thank you. Our next speaker is Rana Cho, followed by Theo. Rana Cho, you should now be able to speak. Hi, um, actually, I am Matt Small. Rana Cho is my better half. Um, but we both wanted to um, call in and basically give our support to the project and ask you to reject the appeal. Um, I have lived for about 30 years almost within 600 feet of Willard Park, and I've enjoyed it as a single person and as a married couple and as a family with our son. Um, who now attends Emerson Elementary. And um, we strongly support expanding access for other people in Berkeley to enjoy the park so that not just those of us within 600 feet get to enjoy it, but all of Berkeley gets to enjoy this resource. So um, I'm hoping that uh, you'll take into account the fact that not everybody in the immediate Willard neighborhood is opposed to this project. Um, many of us are very much in favor of it. So thank you very much. Thank you. Okay, our next speaker is Theo, followed by Becky O'Malley. And Theo, you should now be able to speak. Uh, hello, council members. Uh, my name is Theo Gordon, and I live on Regent Street, about 300 feet north of the park. Uh, I want to urge you today to reject the appeal and move forward with this project as soon as possible. Uh, I use the park regularly, and I would love more programming in the park. I'm so excited as a neighbor to welcome more children to the park and the clubhouse. I want to take particular umbrage with the appellants, uh, specifically the Willard Neighborhood Association, acting as though they speak for the neighborhood. Honestly, their fear-mongering throughout this whole process has been destructive to community engagement, and their attempts at gathering input have been biased and cherry-picked. The, the steering committee has no process or oversight. When I moved to Berkeley, I joined the association and paid my dues. I emailed asking to be involved and got no response. Later, I was able to attend a community meeting about another issue and ask the steering member how I can get more involved. She said that she looked me up on Twitter and that they don't need my help. They're not actually interested in representing the neighborhood. They don't want to hear outside opinions, and they want to pre-screen every member's view. They want complete control over what happens in my neighborhood. Instead of listening to these voices, we should listen to the park staff and parents who know what kind of after-school program we need. Thank you. Thank you. Our next speaker is Becky O'Malley, followed by Patrick Kehoe. Hello. I have lived within a 20-minute walk of Willard Park. That is to say, I'm not a neighbor, but I'm a user, and I no longer am able to walk 
for that 20 minutes, but I still enjoy visiting. What I would remind you is that the city of Berkeley talks very sanctimoniously of working on climate change. And yet every square inch that you cover with concrete is adding to the footprint of humans and creating climate change. We really have to get rid of this edifice complex. We have to build more stuff or we won't be doing what we're supposed to do. We need to think more of what we can do with what we already have without building more things. And also, I think that the last bond issue attempt, which was a total failure, was partly because people had seen too many of these projects, too much of an attempt to monetize the private for, pri for private use, monetizing public property for private use. This is very similar to the desire to build a bandstand in Cesar Chavez Park. We don't need any more of this. Thank you. Our next speaker is Patrick Kehoe, followed by Andrew Johnson. Good evening. Can you hear me? Yes. I use Willard Park every day. I'm concerned about the size and scope of the Willard Clubhouse remodeling project. What began as an upgrade to the clubhouse for after-school programs has now evolved into a community center for weekday and weekend parties and events. The building plans as proposed would reduce the already scarce amount of green space in the park and new parking designations that would limit the already tight neighborhood parking issues. I urge you to ask the Zoning Adjustments Board to put the current plans on hold and refer the project back to staff to take the neighbors' considerations into account. Thank you. Thank you. Our next speaker is Andrew Johnson, followed by Noah Fairber. Andrew Johnson should now be able to speak. And you hear me? Yes, we can. Thank you. And thank you for your service in this meeting tonight. I just, I'm not an immediate neighbor of Willard Park. I live in Bateman neighborhood, but I visit frequently. I want to note that we should not look at this in isolation. City staff and elected city members want greater housing density along Telegraph Corridor, but this proposal reduces needed open free green space. That's simply bad public policy. Nature, exposure to nature, immersing yourself in nature is a healing activity. We crave it, we need it. People need free open green space. I speak adamantly in support of the appeal and hope that you, that's how you will vote. Again, thank you for your service. Thank you for hearing me and listening to all of us. Thank you. Thank you. Noah Fairber, followed by former Mayor Shirley Dean. Hi, can you hear me? Yes. So um, I chose to speak tonight because I live at 2732 Hillegas Avenue. Uh, my partner and I both work from home and chose to live here for the view of the park and the greenery that uh, will be taken away almost completely. Um, I'm all for the extracurricular children's programs, 
but I do not agree with the excess height and width increases. We have a perfect view of the whole park and this will be completely impacted. However, the proposed community center of 3,499 square feet, almost six times the size of the existing building is not what we have asked for. Not to mention the $7 million or more cost for this plan that gets funded by us. I urge this to have further review. Thank you. Thank you. Our next speaker is former Mayor Shirley Dean, followed by Kelly Hammergren. Me? Can you hear me? Yes. Uh, 37 years ago, in 1986, the voters of the city of Berkeley passed Measure L. It is clear from that measure that they were concerned about the lack of open space in a dense neighborhood, in, in uh, I should say, a dense city. Imagine what they would feel like today with all of the development that has occurred. What hasn't happened is that the city attorney has not issued a written opinion, and that opinion has not been made available to people. We heard at the very beginning uh, that the neighborhood was willing to work within Major uh, L and find some compromise that would work for everybody. So you need to respect the voters of this city who passed Major L, and you need to respect the neighborhood. We can work this out to everyone's pleasure. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Our next speaker is Kelly Hammergren, followed by Todd Andrew. Can you hear me okay? I just turned up the volume. Yes. Okay. Um, so, I would ask you to support the appeal. Uh, we are already short of open space in the city of, of Berkeley, and we're going to be adding many, many people. Um, Mayor, you have said at one of the recent meetings that we may be building as many as 15,000 units in the city of Berkeley during this housing element cycle. And so we, we know how important open space is to the health of our community. And I would ask that we always consider maximizing open space over building, especially when that building is not housing. And we have other venues in the city that can be used. So I would uh, strongly support a much smaller um, clubhouse. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, our next speaker is Todd Andrew, followed by Dean Metzger. Oh, hi, Mr. Mayor and Council, Todd Andrew, District 5. I was visiting the um, park over the last weekend, and it's hard for me to understand why people call it small. And then when only 1.3% uh, of the open space is going to be, uh, the lawn space is going to be compromised by moving the uh, walkway uh, a little bit north, I, I just don't understand. And then we're going to have... Uh, like some dozens of trees planted and, and, and dozens of shrubs around the new area. The setback is uh, going to grow, actually. Um, there's no voter approval necessary under Measure L because it doesn't change the use of the park 
or alter the land uses. Um, it's got the support of all local PTA presidents, many of whom and their constituents, so to speak, wanted a bigger facility than exists right now. I just wanna urge you to reject the appeal, move forward with this plan, give underserved children opportunities that they wouldn't otherwise have. Thanks so much. Thank you. Okay, we'll go next to Dean Metzger. Good evening and thank you. Uh, I have difficulty understanding what the problem is here because a neighborhood basically is willing to have the clubhouse expanded to accommodate the children. What I don't understand is why you would want to allow them to cut down seven trees and build the clubhouse three times bigger than the existing one. The appeal should be upheld and all this sent back to staff to work with the neighborhood this time sincerely to come up with a compromise that we all can live with. So I urge you uh, to uphold the appeal and bring this back to the community so we can get a resolution that everyone can live with. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, we'll go next to Pamela Hyde, followed by Alana Kinrich. And these are the two last speakers who've raised their hands to speak on Zoom. So if there's anyone else who'd like to speak as part of the public hearing, um, on the ZAB appeal for 2720 Hillegas, please raise your hand at this time um, to be added to the speaker's queue. Okay, Pamela Hyde. All right, got my unmute button, I think. Can you hear me? Yes. Thank you. Um, I am very much in support of um, denying the appeal and moving forward with uh, what what feels like a really important building project. Um, the, if, if we're, what I've learned tonight is we already are at the minimum encroachment into open space. And it sounds like we are already at the minimum um, building size to meet the programming needs. Um, and as an equity issue um, and enjoyment for all of Berkeley, the, the facilities are needed and any any place else in the Bay Area, you know, as the city, our city is beginning to look more than a bit run down compared to, you know, other important cities. And I hope that Berkeley can step it up and uh, move forward with this important building um, and to and to look better and feel better. Thanks. Our next speaker is Ilana Kinrich followed by Lynn Bradley. Alana Kinrich, you cannot should not be able to speak. Thank you. I am a homeowner a half a block from the park and I ask that the council reject this appeal. Look at the demographics of who is speaking for and against and ask what our city values. This is a city park and a building for young children. This is not the personal front yard for boomers who own multi-million dollar homes. Please listen to the voices of young families from across the city who have called into Zab and written emails, but do not have the time to come in person on a weeknight trying to get young children to bed to come talk to you in person. It is so hard to raise a family in Berkeley these days. 
and you have an opportunity to make it just a little bit easier. Delaying this project will be taking a citywide resource away from the families of the cities so that multimillionaire, multimillionaire landlords can go from the existing 11 feet to 20 feet instead of 11 feet to 16 feet of space. We really need to think about who we're prioritizing. Our next speaker is Lynn Bradley, followed by Maria. And uh, if there are any other speakers after these two, please raise your hand now. Uh, Lynn Bradley, you should now be able to speak. Hello, I'm a homeowner across the street from the clubhouse and I'm in favor of the appeal. Thank you. All right, we'll go to, to Maria. Maria is the last raised hand. so. This is the last call for public comment on Zoom. If you would like to speak, please raise your hand now or else we will not be able to recognize you. Are there any other speakers after this one individual? If so, please raise your hand now. Okay, Maria, you should now be able to speak. Maria, if you would like to speak as part of the public hearing, please unmute yourself. Okay, I think I'm unmuted now. So my name is Maria Kiernick, and I live a couple of blocks away from Willard Park. And I do believe that the clubhouse should be expanded, but maybe not as much as it is. I, I believe that it's, it has great programs for kids, but I also think that there are some valid uh, comments that some of my other neighbors are making. Uh, especially my neighbor, Alex Steck, whose house is most impacted by this project. The building will be four feet away from his property line. And that's where all the uh, many trees will be taken out. I think six or seven of them. And they are mature trees and they may not be native, but they're beautiful trees. And he was unable to present all the information that he had that, uh, well, that backs up his claim about should, that there should be more than a four foot amount of space between uh, his property line and this building. And I don't see why the kids are out near the street where they could be next to their property line and in between the building where they would be more sheltered. You could keep the trees and, and the kids wouldn't have to be right out on the street. So I, I really hope there'll still be a little bit more thought put into this and respect to some of the neighbors who will suffer the worst because of this project. Thank you. Okay. Um, I don't see any other raised hands of members of the public on Zoom who'd like to speak as part of the public hearing. And I'm assuming there's no one else here in the boardroom who has not already spoken who'd like to testify. If so, please come forward to the podium. Okay, I don't see any other speakers, so we'll keep the public hearing open because I, I believe there'll be questions for staff and for parties. Um, Ma Madam Clerk, I believe we do need to take a break for our remote captioner, correct? Yes, that's correct. We have Thank a remote you. captioner who's live captioning the proceedings. So we, uh, what do you recommend? I recommend 10 minutes. Okay, we'll take a 10 minute break. We'll be back at 817. Thank and then we'll, conti we'll continue with the council discussion. Thank you. Recording stopped.
Recording in progress. If the city council members can please rejoin us on the dais, we're going to reconvene. Okay. We're back in session and um, we have kept the public hearing open uh, so as to allow council members the opportunity to ask questions. Um, and so uh, council members would like to be added to the queue to ask questions, please press your button on the parliamentarian and we'll go first to Councilmember Boinga. And the public hearing is open, so we're not going to make any motions at this time. Councilmember Weingraf. Yes, thank you very much, Mayor Aragin. Uh, I want to thank all the neighbors who came out uh, to speak tonight. Um, I listened very closely to your concerns. Um, I, I want to take this opportunity to ask um, Scott Ferris some questions about the design of the building. Uh, Scott, are you on the call? Yes, I'm here. Okay, so um, most of the concerns that I heard from the neighborhood um, addressed the massing and the size of the building uh, and the size of the building in relationship to the open space of the park. So I want to just get some clarity on the size of the building. I, I'm looking at the development standards um, that actually was in the ZAB packet. I'm assuming that there were no changes from that time. It's page nine of 15. Oh, I'm sorry. It's page 153 of 160 of our packet. And it's a chart of development standards. And um, so the lot area is 118,500 square feet. And the gross floor area of the building is 3,611. And the height is 17 and a half, seven, about 17 and a half feet high uh, at its highest, at its highest point, or is that an average height? I don't think that's the average height. I think the average height is less. Okay, so 17, um, 17 feet, 17 and a half feet is not very high. Um, in fact, ADUs can be 20 feet and they're presumably accessory structures. Um, but so it seems to me like we're, we're losing about 2000 square feet of open space. Is that correct? Um, well, if the variance pass, passes, it's, I think, significantly less than that. Okay. Could, do you have any, any, um, any visuals that might help me? Yeah, I, I had a few in the PowerPoint. Um, is it okay if I share, uh, reshare, Evelyn, can you reshare those? And then we've got a few slides that we didn't present because I didn't have time to. Um, I'm... I would like to see uh, any kind of visual representations that you have um, just to get some clarity on exactly the size in relationship to the open space. So that it, um, well, there, here's one of them. We've got several. Here's one of them that shows the clubhouse in relationship to viewing it on Hill, 
hill gas um, and its size. And then here's the, that's the east, what we call the east elevation. And then um, the north elevation um, and the max proposed building height is 15.8. Um, and that is looking at it as if you were out in the grass, looking at the, um, looking at the, um, or in the meadow, looking at the, the center. And then, Evelyn, I don't know if you can find slide, I think it's, I'm looking at the PowerPoint, uh, slide number 17 or 18. Let's take a look at 18. So 18 is the floor plan of the building. Um, and you see the, uh, the, the building in its relationship to that, that area there. Um, and you also see the live oak and the redwood um, there and, and the Japanese maple. Um, but what about um, slide number 11? Um, also gives, uh, talks about this in relationship to uh, our other centers. Um, so those Live Oak, James Kenney, Francis Albreyer, and MLK Yap are other community centers. And um, you can see the sizes of those. Um, Live Oak is 13, over 13,000. James Kenney's uh, huge facility, it's our biggest facility, 18 plus. Francis Albar, which is in Sabo Park, San Pablo Park is 13,000. It's a very small community center for that park. MLK Yap, which is about uh, the square footage of that building, which is hopefully going to expand soon, um, is 10.6. It's kind of similar in size. Willard Park is, is Grove Park's just over three acres. So if you add the community center, it's probably about four. Um, so it's it's a little, it's bigger than uh, Willard, but not that much bigger. And then the Willard clubhouse size of those, I mean, that's, uh, I, I, otherwise I could, um, if you've got other questions, maybe Jordan staff can step in and ask. I'm just trying to get a sense of how much open space is actually being encroached upon with the new, with the new proposal. So this, with the variance, this is a, a picture of the, uh, the um, the property with uh, the variance. If we get this the sixteen foot setback, um, that is the open space. It's going to be encountered. There'll be a, a walkway out there. Um, and marker, everyone. Do you guys know the actual square footage of that side of that? Give me a moment. If I could just jump in. Um... Is the question asking just the the difference between the existing square footage of open space and the proposed? Currently, it's one hundred and seventeen thousand eight hundred twenty-one oh, yeah. usable open space. Because we heard a lot of uh, comment from um, from the public about losing open space, and so um, that's what that's what I'm trying to understand is. How much how much open space in relationship to the whole park are we actually losing by building this? Uh, the proposed total would be two thousand eight hundred and twenty square foot less. Yeah, that, that, that's that's what out I hundred out of a hundred and fifteen thousand. Okay, square feet of usable open space. Thank okay. you. And and um. In terms of programming for the structure for the 
for the clubhouse. Um, what kind of programming are you hoping to expand there? Um, so we would probably in that space, we would probably program it in the morning with zero to five programs um, until uh, 1.30. Um, and then we would uh, do after school programming like we do at our, a lot of our recreation centers from 1.30 to uh, to 6. Um, typically, we evening programs at our rec center, recreation centers are, um, you know, if, if there's in, in spaces like the ones that would be here at Willard are, are things like yoga. Uh, we do uh, sometimes we have groups that meet local neighborhood groups, but also other groups that come in and, and meet. Uh, uh, we would do um, uh, just a variety of kind of uh, things that fit. I think uh, maybe dancing, some, some version of dance might fit on in in that. In that but on a daily on a daily basis in the mornings, especially, it would be childcare or early. Zero to five programming, yeah. And just a comment on terms of uh, large parties and and things in our community centers. You know, our community centers we don't allow alcohol, um, and so we don't have many large celebrations for just because of that. There, you know, we have so once in a while we have a birthday party, uh, but um, it is uh, those are far and few between. Most of it is community activities. Uh, most of them run by nonprofits who get to use our facilities at low cost or for free and um and uh and fee classes that we run um and and regular classes that we run were karate things like that where youth or adults participated there was a comment by one of the speakers about the redwood tree and it was his opinion that the redwood tree did not have to be removed have um we had an arborist examine that tree um Yes, we've we've taken um, multiple looks at that tree, um, and uh, and uh, Evelyn, if you can bring up that image of the um, of the of the drip lines of this tree, uh, drip lines of all the 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 trees in the area. Uh, so uh, we have, and so the tree is um, is is healthy. Um, it is at the same time. It is uh, it's problematic a little bit because um, it is uh, existing where it is. It's so close to a, a, a residence foundation, um, and so and those roots at some point will grow into the residence property um, and could become problematic. Although you know it's hard to tell the future of a tree. Um, is this tree gonna? you know, uh, last for another 30, 40, 50 years, you know, it's, it's hard to tell. Um, but, you know, it's, it's, it's urban, it's what we deal with with trees all the time in the urban environment, there's always an impact. Um, but right now, um, the tree is healthy. Um, but it's not in, it's not in the perfect spot. If you're out in the park, it would be uh, much better can much better space for it to expand and continue to grow because this tree this tree is going to get very big. Don't redwoods grow for hundreds of years? They can. Yeah, and they I mean, and they get bigger. They do. This one's gonna the potential for this one is 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 could get very big. Uh huh. Okay, that's it for now. Thank you very much.
Okay, thank you. Councilmember Robinson, keep in mind, uh, at this point, we're entertaining questions. I want to make sure that we get all the questions on the table to parties before we close the public hearing. Because once we close the public hearing, we're supposed to uh, deliberate and can't really take any new testimony. So, Councilmember Robinson. Thank you. No, I think I mostly wanted to grandstand. I'll wait. Appreciate it. Yeah, let's wait. And let's. I would advise the councilors not make any statements until we've closed the public hearing because the record's still open and we need to consider, um, we need to make base a decision up, upon all the record and the testimony before we um, take action. Councilor Hahn. Uh, yes, thank you very much. I did have some questions. Um, first for Mr. Ferris. Um, uh, my district includes Live Oak Park, which actually I think has got fairly similar um, structures surrounding the park. Um, you could probably take a picture of Hillegas and a picture of Walnut Street, and a lot of people wouldn't be able to know the difference. Um, and it's a large community center, and uh, but it does not abut directly next to homes. It is across the street from residences. That having been said, uh, I think you've already told us a little bit about the programming um, in these kinds of community centers. Is there a closing time? When does, for example, Live Oak Park, do you know approximately the, the latest hour that it has um, community events and um, there used to be, I don't know if there still is a lovely, lovely folk dancing group. I think yes. they, they're like 60 years or something. So, yeah, that we do. Um, typically, our recreation centers uh, don't go any later than nine, although there are some um, instances that they go to uh, maybe just a handful a year that they go to 10. But typically, that our programming ends at, at 9 p.m. But we have commission meetings in our all of our facilities. We have um, other type of meetings like that that go longer um, at, at these facilities. I'm, I'm sure there would be something similar at this facility, as we you know we we were all always looking for sites for people to meet. Okay, so we you, the expectation would be that the programming would be similar in the uses to to Live Oak, as an example. Yeah, for sure. Okay, and do we have any restrictions or are permits required for amplified music in our parks? Yes, and in our facilities. Yeah. And do do we do amplified programs currently in our parks in the evening, or what is how does that work? We do not. Um, we we have a the only amplification that we do. We have a music in the park series that happens. Uh, at six or eight sites during the summer, we amplify sound then, but it's during the day. Okay. We do we do have movies in the park, and that's amplifying sound, but it's it's not very loud. But we do get a permit for it. Okay, and those are usually what six o'clock start time or seven? Uh, as it, when it gets um, when the fall closes, they they start that early. Right now, they're starting at seven thirty, eight o'clock. Because, um, but yes. Okay, great. I'm really just trying to fill this out a little bit so the community has a better idea of how these um, community centers are functioning already in, in other parts of town. Um, my last question is about amplified music indoors. Um, do we have amplified music indoors after 
9 p.m. I can't remember the last events that we had indoors that amplified music after 9 p.m., but it, there may have been one in the last few years, the last five or six years, but I'm having a hard problem. Uh, I, you know, actually, we have teen, we have teen events, um, but our teen events are typically done at 9, so um, uh, the music shuts off at 9. Um, okay. And so the, a lot of them are held at at uh, at our ML Martin Luther King News Services facility in Francis Alvarez, sometimes at James Kenny, and once in a while at Live Oak too. But they're they're we're done at nine. Okay. So would it be burdensome to have an explicit limitation on amplified music indoors after nine p.m.? Um. Oh. Knowing um, that the outdoor requires a permit, and so right. there's a process for that, but the indoor doesn't. No. No, it's not a problem or no? You no, it's not a problem, yeah. It's not a problem. Okay. I, I would like to put it out there that I think it would provide some comfort to the neighbors and it doesn't sound like it would change much in reality to um, put a condition on the um, on the conditions of approval that uh, no amplified music indoors after 9 p.m. So I'll just put that out there. Uh, thank you very much for helping me better understand, and I think maybe the community better understand what, what kinds of activities these community centers host. I now have some other questions for you, Scott, Okay. <laughs> on a different topic. Um, I, I'll just put it out there. Um, I'm sorry, Mayor, I do have to explain a little bit why I'm asking the question. I, I don't want to go beyond what you've asked us to do, but I think I need to provide just a little context. So I think in the normal patterning of, of these, of what was, of what's expected in the fabric of a neighborhood like this, and especially given that, you know, in like 1965 up to 1970, there were actually, um, it was this, this parcel, these, this park was fully developed with homes. Um, I think the normal patterning would be that the separation side by side for structures would be usually, I believe, four feet on each side of the side setback and therefore about eight feet of separation is typical. Sometimes it's more, but in my case, the house next to me is actually only six feet away, um, but that's pre-existing before we had the zoning. Um, and of course, it's typical then for the rear setback of a structure in, in the fabric of a neighborhood like this to be 20 feet. And I'm, by rear, I mean west. Um, I feel like the placement of this center, uh, we lose 16 feet of potential park space, which I've heard is a big interest and concern of folks, um, by pushing it so far away from the south boundary, which in my opinion would be more typically a four-foot setback boundary. And I am interested in seeing if this building can be pulled south and or east, south and east, which would essentially place it in a more typical placement that would be expected in the fabric of a neighborhood like this. And my understanding is that in order to do that, it's really the redwood tree that is the main impediment. 
And so my first question is, is the redwood a protected species that cannot be removed in Berkeley? Are there, is there a law against removing redwood trees? Um, uh, I, I'm going to, I'm, I'm going to say no. <laughs> yeah. No, there's not. I would, if somebody else wants to answer the question, that's fine, but not the mine where, no, only live oaks. That's correct. Only close live oaks are protected okay. under the code. So we have no, we have no laws against taking out a redwood tree. And, um, Scott, I know that you're not the forestry person, but that is in your purview. Mm -hmm. My understanding is that redwood trees, um, in, in that there are quite a few, um, in sort of the fabric of the city that those tend to be planted, even though they can be quite large, they were not native, that this area was mostly wildland, um, grasses, and then the, the, the live oaks. Is that correct? Yes. And I don't think, I don't think this redwood tree, the one we're talking about was planted by city staff. It is not planted in a great spot. I don't think city staff would have planted something so close to a a property boundary. So okay, and is the way that the roots work on a redwood tree that they fan out in a circle? I mean, they're very tall, and so I'm assuming their roots have to be kind of broad to hold the tree up, sort of like yeah. a big skirt. Yeah. Then most, you know, most roots go to where the water is, and so a lot of times that's on the surface, and so the, the roots span out, um, and. Uh, they obviously, as the, the tree grows, the roots grow. Okay. So the roots get wider as the tree gets wider. And just from looking on the second page of your um, presentation, I don't know if that can be put up again. The pages aren't numbered, so I was counting the cover page as page one, and the okay. second page shows. Evelyn, can you pull up that slide? Uh, yeah, that's you've got it as two as well. Great. Yeah, so it's a little hard to see, but down there in the bottom right-hand corner, um, there's the white outline of the clubhouse. And um, Evelyn, I totally appreciate if you can indicate things as I speak about them. Then um, behind it is a round tree. That is the redwood tree. And you can see that it's right on the property line. And then you don't have a good view of it, but the house next door is also right on the property line. It looks very close to the property line to me, maybe four feet, maybe three, um, but it's very close. And so you can see that the root structure of a tree that has that drip line theoretically is under or next to or being impeded by the house to the south. And I'm assuming that it is also not growing where the existing clubhouse is. So you probably have sort of roots fanning out sort of east and west, but it doesn't look like you have a lot of root structure north and south, um, unless the roots are are actually going under these foundations. And um, so I'm a little concerned long-term. Um, in my district, we had some very large eucalyptus trees in a park, actually in King Park. Um, those also are trees that tend to have a big fanned out um, root structure, but they were limited by some concrete 
um, walls. And so the size of that root structure was not as big as it might have been in a natural environment. And in a very bad storm, after a lot of rain, a 100-foot tree fell down. If there had been homes or people in its way, it would have killed people, absolutely. Um, and um, I'm a little concerned that as this tree gets bigger and bigger without a full radius of root structure, that it, it could become a hazard for the park. So I just want to put that out there. I have um, some concerns about the long-term stability of that tree and whether it's going to be appropriate for it to keep getting bigger and bigger in that very, very tight location. And my last question, set of questions for you, Scott, um, uh, Director Ferris, I'm sorry. That's okay. Uh, we have 16 feet behind this building. That's 16 feet that if it was in front of the building would be park space that was really usable. What is your plan for those, for the space behind the building? Those 16 feet between the building and the lot line. Right. Um, there's a pathway behind um, a portion of it um, for access. And um, there is some drainage. Um, and, um, but the ultimately, as you've pointed out, ultimately the reason why we requested 16 feet and not anything more for the setback was because of the, the tree, the tree canopy and the, um, the root system associated with that redwood. So it, it could okay. be, if that, if that redwood weren't there, it could, the building could be pushed back. Okay. That's awesome. And if it weren't there and it were pushed back, might it also be able to be moved a little bit to the east and avoid the live oak trip line, which obviously is not something we would touch? Yes, if we moved it eastward, though, it would impact, um, which is the uh, the open terrace area, which uh -huh. is uh, the, currently the size of the existing open terrace area. So it, yeah. it would impact that size. And I we I can bring we can bring up an Im image to take a look at that really quick if you want. Sure, I am okay. very interested in this question, um, mm -hmm. and whether you would be comfortable moving the structure south, um, because we've heard a lot about the desire to have more more open space and more space available for play, which I support, and that. Right. There's a there's dead space back there that I feel like could be better used. Yeah. So, okay. What if you go back to the last slide? Okay. So we've been we've been working behind the scenes here as 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 you brought up some of these ideas. This is the existing footprint, and you see the redwood and the maple and the live oak um, trees there. Um, and um, so if that redwood wasn't there, that building could move back and we moved it uh, five feet back and five feet to the east. And so that's what it, it, would, it would look like. Um, and although the, uh, the area, um, the area, the open, the open space area to the right of the building would be a little bit smaller. Um, it would be, uh, this is the, this is the, an example of how it could be moved 
five feet back and five feet to the east. So five feet south and five feet to, uh, to the east. Yeah, that's awesome. Do you think it could be moved back more than five feet to the south um, and still give you the access and drainage you need? Um, if we, you know, I think what we're going to run into if we move it back any farther, because the area starts to get steep back in there, we're going to probably run into an additional um, anywhere from fifty to $100,000 worth of cost to retain the wall. So we would have to uh, retain something in back in order to to make that happen if we move it back too far, because hmm. after that, it kind of slopes off pretty significantly. Okay. All right. Well, um, this has been very helpful. Um, I. I wish I could, there's not that many, and thank you, Scott. Those were my questions for you. Um, I did have a question for the community. Um, maybe I can do it via show of hands. I wish there were still more people here in the room. Um, if there was a either or, either or, one or the other, not both, the building was moved back five feet to the south and was moved approximately five feet to the east, and you regained park space um, and the tree had to come out. I'm not asking for both. I wanna know if it was either or how many people would move the structure and lose the tree. Okay, then maybe maybe if somebody wants to come up and speak to that it would be easier. Mr. Castellano raised his hand since he was the representative of the uh... A pallets will go to him. Yeah. I'm just trying to get a sense. Is this is this an improvement? I think it is, but I want to make it I want to understand if the community thinks it's an improvement. Scott. <laughs> so I have I have something here and Mr. O'Leary can sure I can I, I'd love to hear from Mr. O'Leary. I'm happy to hear from both of you. Thanks. Um there's actually quite a bit of room to the east that it could move. And um, that's that use space could move to either the front, the, to the north side of the clubhouse, or to the west side of. The if you clubhouse. could speak more directly into the. Oh, sorry. Yeah, the uh, there's quite a bit of space uh, on the east side that the building could move into that terrace space, and the terrace could be relocated to the lawn side, to the uh, north side of the park or uh, to north side of the clubhouse or to the west side of the clubhouse. So the, the, um, the western part of the parcel, of the building parcel site slopes down fairly dramatically to the property line. So moving it east, you're moving it onto flatter ground. It's flatter over there. And moving it- So less uh, foundation sorry, on the west side. Moving it east, yeah. Moving it south, moves it closer to the property line and in a space that can't be used for anything else. So if all of the activities, if the access and activities were moved to the north side of the clubhouse, that's where you get like a synergy between people coming and going and the uses in the park and how the clubhouse becomes more of an so energy. So you would support moving the building southward and eastward? Absolutely. Okay. It's obvious. But... Hmm? Would you support removing the tree in order to do that? And I, I'm not asking I would look do you differ it. in your opinion. Yeah, I would totally look into it. Uh, there's ways to do foundations. There are creative foundation work. There's, there's a foundation there now that's from the existing clubhouse. 
that the tree roots may have grown underneath and around. So uh, if you I'm don't- I'm asking yeah. if you would remove the tree. Would I remove the tree in yeah. this situation? Yes. I don't think it adds a lot to the park, actually. And I think it's, it, as you pointed out, uh, long-term, um, it could be a hazard. Okay, so you would move the building Absolutely. over keeping the tree? Absolutely. Okay, and that was it. Thank you. Okay. okay, we're still taking questions. Council Member Humbert. Yes, thank you, Mr. Mayor. And thanks everybody for all of your participation. I'm really grateful to um, for the participation at all levels, staff and, and, and public, uh, members of the public. Um, I've just got a few questions because most of them have been covered by my fellow council members, but I'd like to start out with uh, a question to um, Mr. Ferris and staff about what additional costs might be uh, uh, incurred um, if we moved the um, uh, the the center uh, south and east. And second part of the question is, um, does that work for supervision of kids during the programs? Um, the answer to the second question is the easiest one that I'm, I'm, I think the answer is yes, we could make that work. Um, we've got a, actually a similar sized tree, actually one not quite as big at Casadero uh, that needs is coming out very soon um, that it's costing us $45,000 to remove. So you get you get a cost of the removal for that tree plus the work behind as we move back is probably anywhere from fifty to additional fifty to one hundred thousand dollars. So we're going to need probably another one hundred fifty thousand dollars to um, um, to do this work if this is the if this is the, uh, the decision. Okay, and then the sec the actually the second part was that was the first part, and that's fine. Thank you for your response. The second part is if the building is moved east toward Hillegas Street, does that and and the children are to have outdoor activities um, to the north, what what's the impact there in terms of space, but also in terms of the ability of staff at the center to supervise the children? Does that have to change the architecture of the the center um i don't i'm sorry about that i i would say a couple things to that comment is it would make the the kind of the the open space which which is similar to what the concrete area is now smaller um as we as we push the building east but um not if we're only moving five feet, not significantly smaller, right? Five feet's only five feet. And right now, Evelyn, if I don't know if we can bring up a, a, a slide of the total project again uh, with a color slide. And um, we can take a look at that. Um, and so it either reduced the, that, that kind of open um, hard surface of the outdoor, we're calling the outdoor terrace. Um, by a few feet um and you know there's a ma japanese maple there and we could always put up some type of uh uh a border um to keep things from going that way but that was envisioned um uh as kind of an a, an open area where the community could come in and use that um if it wasn't being used by the the programming from the facility so it's it's possible yeah 
Okay, thank you. Um, on another um, sort of topic, um, it, it, is this um, essentially, and I think I heard this, the smallest that the building can be um, to function appropriately uh, for kids programs for, you know, the zero to five and the after school programs and the, and the, um, the summer camps. Yeah. I mean, I mean, if you think about 1600 feet, 1610 feet in, in, um, in, in relationship to, I don't know, uh, uh, what you, the, you, your own houses or, uh, or what we have in other spaces, it's not a huge space. Um, this is a very small space. Um, and is, is is not a big uh, community room where you're serving hundreds and hundreds of kids. But at an ex, uh, you know the preferred plan was much bigger in terms of inside space where we could have served a bigger clientele. Um, but this would definitely allow us to expand. Uh, we would love to serve you know sixty kids here. Um, you know we're serving thirty seven. That's about all the building can handle right now. Um, we'd love to serve between 60 and 70, and I, this room will do it. Um, and it'll also allow us to do, for instance, you know, there, there are 800 square foot rooms. So you potentially, we could close that center and run, you know, a dance class on one side and an exercise class on another. So it gives us a little flexibility or, you know, a, 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 zero, a two to five, our two to five drop in and a meeting in the other room. So. Okay. But uh, is there a minimum space? Uh, I mean, the, the smaller you get, the less you are people you're able to serve. Unfortunately, as you make a building smaller, proportionally, the 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 space that gets cut is the recreation, the programmable space, because the bathrooms and the storage and the kitchen and the electrical room and the lobby have to be a certain size. Right. So these these are the same size of the the larger building. That's all got to be a certain size. It's what you what you end up cutting as you make things smaller is the programmable space. Yeah. Thank you. That's thank you, Mr. Ferris. That's really, really helpful. Um, and my final question is um, for the three programs that we were just talking about, the summer camp, the zero to five and, and maybe particularly the after school program. Where do the kids come from in Berkeley? They come from all over, um, uh, you know, a lot of our, so for instance, I mean, just all our programs, they come from all over the city for, you know, for instance, at Live Oak, at Live Oak Center this summer, we've got 80 some odd kids a week as we, you know, we've been sold out since May, we have a huge waiting list, but 50% of those kids are on 100% scholarship. And so a lot of our kids come from all over. A lot of them don't come from the Live Oak area. Um, and so that's just kind of how we function. We have shared resources that we use for um, all our residents. And yes, there are some kids from the area that go to, to those programs there, but there are a lot of kids uh, that come from outside of, of um, kind of that, that Live Oak area that use that program. The after-school program, is primarily uh, based on uh, you know what's what school route buses to Willard uh, afterwards, and that varies from year to year with the school district. But any usually uh, anywhere between four and five, sometimes six different schools will drop off at different programs. But it varies year to year. But all our after school programs, um, 
will go to serve uh, a wide variety of, of of students from the area. And then the, the summer camps. Yeah, summer camps after school, zero to five. Um, you know, I know a, we all think that Berkeley is this huge place, but it really isn't. And so people will travel all over to go to programming. Um, you know, if you have to go a mile or a half mile or a mile and a half to to get to a recreation center that offers the programming that you need or that your child is in, it's it's not a um, it's not a, a big effort. Thank you. That's all I have. Think for right now, at least. Thanks. Are there any other questions before we entertain a motion to close the public hearing? Councilor Han? Yeah, briefly. Um, uh, Mr. Ferris, somebody just alerted me that there was a redwood tree that fell in Willard Park in the last few years. Could you tell me a little bit about that? I wasn't aware of that. I know that huge tree that fell in King Park in my district. Yes. But I didn't catch the big tree fall. No, uh, during a storm about a year ago, um, actually a little more than a year ago, uh, a big tree fell in Willard, huge redwood. Um, and uh, it, um, it it was on the corner of Hillgas and, um, oh, on the corner of- Derby. Derby, Hillgas and Derby, thank you. Um, and it fell across the park. Fortunately, it was the middle of the wind. Uh, it was in the middle of the night in a windstorm, and and nobody was hurt. Um, and but trees fall, right? Um, we had in this latest storm, we had um, uh, literally, I think we had close to two hundred trees. City trees fell in the in in this winter, uh, about a hundred in the in the waterfront. And so trees fall, and they don't necessarily fall because they're uh, they're diseased or they've got something wrong with them. Trees just fall. It's it's it, it's what happens in windstorms. Yeah. Okay. Um, that's it's interesting to know because that that is my concern for this tree that I'm not feeling super sentimental about um, because I I think the placement of the center would be optimized um, and the green space in the park would be optimized by, by moving it. Um, I had a question about parking, which I forgot to ask, my apologies. Um, in an earlier version, my understanding is that there was uh, some drop-off space that was gonna be um, put on Hillegas. And it was going to just, if I understood correctly, it was just going to be at certain hours and then the rest of the time, uh, the spaces would be open for regular parking. Um, is that something that we could do here? I see in the, I think in the um, memo, it says that you're open to it. Is there any reason why we wouldn't do that? Do we know there isn't a need for it? Um. I don't, you know, I'm going to let planning take that question. Um, hi, so what happens um, within the street with the on-street loading um, is a public works matter. Okay, is public works here? No, are they, are they on? Um, Anywhere? Okay. 
because uh, I guess I don't see why we wouldn't um, put in a drop-off zone and, um, you know, just have that be during like key pickup and drop-off times for the the regularly scheduled um, preschool and after-school programs, but let those spaces be used for par other park users and residents at other times. I, it looks like Evelyn might have a well, comment. Go ahead, Evelyn. But I, I will tell you that, um, you know, we started off with a with a, a loading zone and then um, it got removed. And that's why I want planning staff to address that. I think there was a change in the law that said that we no longer needing needed that space. I think a lot of the community that we heard didn't want that, hmm. um, that to limit any of that parking. And then just our observations around um, how the BUSD buses drop off even if there's parking area, they double park in the street and just drop the kids off. And so um, I'm not sure it would be used by the buses. It might be used by the parents when they pick up, but yes. Yeah, I, I will say that I, there. I happened to go by Live Oak Park at pickup drop-off time today for some of the camps and things that, and uh, it took me almost 10 minutes to go a block because, and it was very dangerous. There were cars parked helter-skelter, people trying to go around them, an Amazon truck. Kids were crossing all over the place, parents. Um, it wasn't a great situation, so I guess I kind of feel like if we can organize the curb um, for more safety and encourage the safety for people picking up and dropping off kids, um, that feels like it would be a good thing to me. Jordan, I see you there. Did you have a comment on this? Yeah, I would just note uh, from the staff, the staff report notes that originally the uh, there there was a parking requirement associated with community centers, and that's why there was a plan uh, loading zone AB twenty ninety seven, which went into effect this year, um, eliminated that parking requirement, and therefore the the loading zone is no longer required. However, we noted in the staff report, there's nothing stopping the applicant from uh, making that request for a loading zone to the transportation division, and they would evaluate that. Okay, but that is, we're not determining that now. By not specifying a loading zone, it doesn't mean there couldn't be one in the future. It's not part okay. of the zoning permit? That's correct. Okay, that is good to know. Great, that's really helpful. Thank you so much. Thank you, Mayor. Okay, are there any other questions? Okay, if not, I'll make a motion to close the public hearing. Second. Okay, if we can please call the roll. To close the public hearing, Councilmember Kessarwani? Yes. Taplin? Yes. Bartlett? Yes. Harrison is absent. Hahn? Yes. Wengraff? Yes. Robinson? Yes. Humbert? Yes. Mayor Arguin? Yes. Thank you. Okay, the motion carries. Thank you. So the public hearing is closed. Thank you all who came tonight to testify. So now it's in order for council to make any statements or, or put motions on the floor. Um, who would like to start? Councilor Robinson? Sure, I can. Good evening. Thank you so much to our planning staff and our park staff and the appellants for your presentations. I feel like I've been waiting for this day for such a long time. Uh, you all remember that District 7, when I started in this strange job, wrapped around Willard Park in the middle school uh, before redistricting, I've enjoyed 
countless picnics there uh, and of course attended so many of the workshops for this project uh one at the park uh with our park staff and feel so very much that you know, today we're at the i hope end of a long community process but really the beginning of a new day for willard park uh, and really want to celebrate what represents i think a spectacular investment in willard park a new recreation facility for our kids that represents a less than 1% encroachment on the park space and improves ADA access, a new bathroom, new trees. Needless to say, and I'm glad we've heard consensus about this in the room today, the clubhouse in its current form does not meet the needs of our families, our children, or the community. And I'm really eager for us to modernize our recreation spaces and invest in childcare options and really appreciate all the perspectives that we've heard tonight. Yeah, I think the most important sentence in the staff report is this one uh, that reads, the use of the site will not increase substantially, but instead will be enhanced to meet existing demand in a more suitable setting. That's what I feel like this is all about. You know, those who are familiar with the clubhouse and the park and the after-school programs there especially will know this to be true. We have long outgrown this space. It's not meeting our needs. I will resist the urge to go through every single appeal issue, but I think the first four are the most interesting. Uh, the first regarding uh, the suggestion that the project represents a violation of 1986's Measure L, uh, which is, of course, an incredibly important protection for our parks and open spaces. Uh, and I want to appreciate the case laid out by our staff who make clear that the renovation and expansion of the clubhouse do not constitute, constitute a change in purpose for Willard Park. Uh, but while here, I, I want to express my own concern at what I feel has been a, a recurring theme of the either misinterpretation or abuse of the language of Measure L to oppose meaningfully investing in our parks. I feel like we've seen some similar energies and conversations around the marina as well. Uh, the second issue relates to the CEQA question. Uh, staff make clear the project is consistent with and qualifies for a Class 3 exemption. Uh, the third issue regarding the intensification of use, I feel like has come up. In many of the comments today, it is important for us to note the technical meaning of a community center and understand that the Willard Park Clubhouse, as it exists right now, is a community center as defined under the zoning ordinance. This is not a change in its use. Uh, and the fourth is the question about the variance findings uh, for the setback. I really appreciate staff clarifying the case for the variance findings. I know this was a significant conversation at the ZAB hearing, uh, and I want to reiterate my understanding that the various, I mean, really the purpose of it is to help us preserve the open space. I want to appreciate that it was put on the table in response to so much of the feedback that we heard of the community. And while I know it's not really material to the question of whether the variance is allowed or, or is justified. I think it's worth reiterating that either of these scenarios, the 16 or 20 foot setback are more significant than the setback that exists with the clubhouse as it exists right now. Um, thank you it's for an incredibly thorough report. It has been such a long process. And summation, really, I just want to remind us of how long the journey has been and how many different iterations of the project have existed in that time. Uh, I've heard many people say tonight that they support a modest expansion of the clubhouse, uh, but they wish the product, the projects would take into account the neighborhood's concerns. And it's my belief that that is exactly what this project represents. Uh, I'll share with you, 
I actually think that a superior design existed some time ago. Uh, I preferred what we called the preferred plan, which had an additional classroom uh, and significantly higher square footage. But parts of what has brought us to the design that we're looking at today is rising construction costs and a shortfall in T1. And further delay will have costs too. And those costs impact our ability to move forward with other projects. And so today, I'm very excited about the work product that's come together, the design that we've landed on that really does respond to so many of the issues that have come up through the process uh, and truly feel that I'm not willing to allow this project to take another day or another dollar. Uh, and I'm very eager for us to keep this on track for opening in 2025 and build the clubhouse our kids deserve. And so with that, I'd like to move the staff recommendation to reject the appeal and approve the use permits and variance for the project. Thank Second. you. And so um, does that include the revised variance findings that staff read into the record? It does. Okay. Thank you. Okay. Uh, Councilman Brahan, then Vice Mayor Bartlett. Yeah, thank you. Um, so I, I'm not going to speak to the appeals points because this is a de novo hearing. And I'm not sure if everyone in the audience knows what that means, but it means that we don't really look at what was decided by the zoning board and we don't even have to pay attention to the appeals questions. We just take a fresh look and we make our own decision about um, how to move this forward. Um, I, I have not been involved in all the discussions. This is not in my district. And I know that um, some uh, of the way that concerns were brought forward uh, has, has been actually offensive to um, some members of our community and, and also, if repeated correctly to me, would be offensive to me as well. But I don't make decisions about zoning based on the applicant, nor based on the community comments or appellants or whatever, I really try to just look at the actual structure and the impacts and try to dispassionately evaluate the various trade-offs and um, how to maximize among those various trade-offs, how to do the best job for the community. And in this case, first of all, I want to be super clear. Um, I support the modernization and expansion of this clubhouse. I fully support the expansion of the programs. And I am not worried about um, somewhat expanded community use of the space. I will say that in, in, in my district, in the case of Live Oak Park, which I happen to live two blocks from, and every now and then, you know, the Himalaya Fair, whatever. Yeah, there's no parking for like a 10 or 20 block radius. I love it. I love the life, the activity, the, um, the joy uh, that that community center brings into the heart of that neighborhood. And I actually look forward to this amenity for this neighborhood, the expanded amenity. I think it enlivens and um, really enriches the neighborhood to have this um, expanded, modernized, and um, hopefully more heavily used. 
facility for community uses. Um, I just think it's better sited further to the south where you lose that six, that completely dead 16 foot space. It's taking park space that doesn't have to be taking. We can use the same variance findings, the exact same findings. Nothing else has to change. And we can move that building back and we can move it a little bit east. It is a much better sighting. And yes, we can remove a tree that is not native to this location that was planted, that it is not in a great location, that may have a compromised root structure. And um, we can plant other beautiful, amazing trees um, and they will mature and they'll be more appropriate for this type of site. So uh, I uh, would very much like to see us uh, approve this tonight, but with the adjusted location. And I, I'm wondering if the maker of the motion might be amenable to approving it, but with a slightly adjusted location. With respect, I will not. Thank you. Okay. So is it possible to know what about that is problematic? I believe I heard the parks director indicate that effectuating that change would represent something upwards of $100,000 in staff time and work. Mr. Ferris, could you confirm my understanding of that answer? I'll say I had understood that moving it further than five feet back would incur that, but I'm not mm -hmm. suggesting that. So I'd love that clarification as well. Um, so removing the tree is probably, you know, $50,000 or close to it. Um, and uh the the site work i would we it would it would if we go five feet i'm not absolutely positive it it could be if we have to retain it's going to cost us another anywhere between another 15 hundred thousand dollars we have to do something significant along the uh, the back side of that structure in the and in that corner but i'm not positive so i would say it's probably fifty thousand dollars at least maybe up to one hundred and fifty thousand. But uh, there's no guarantee. I can't. I can't sit here and make that guarantee. Um, um, Mark and Evelyn, I don't know if you guys. Are there any savings for a foundation that is not on as steep of a slope? No. Okay. Thank you, Mr. Ferris, and thank you, Councilmember Hahn. My motion will stand as is. Okay. Would you be amenable to an allowance for them to explore that and not have to come back to us if it's not feasible? That's a good question. Um, can we direct? Well, I'd like to hear from our planning staff what the practical effect of that would be. Can we grant the use permit with that allowance and they would not have to come back and it's not direction that they effectuate that change. But if staff do find that that is a preferable location for, I suppose, really any reason they would have the flexibility to do so. That is also a very good question. Um, I think that it would be possible to approve a project with a like with a range 
of a setback. Um, if there were to be a retaining wall within the setback, it would require an additional administrative use permit. Um, so I don't know if that is something that should be added here tonight as a potential. So we could approve an AUP for a retaining wall if necessary, or you're saying, I mean, an AUP doesn't have to come to the ZAB or anything. That's, yeah. So I think it's difficult for us to say what would be required without seeing designs. And so a retaining wall, until we see what the plans are, we can't tell you what type of permits are required for the structure. And with the uncertainty as to what would be required, it's, it is really difficult for us to say how long it would take, what type of permit. Would but there is no retaining wall that requires a use permit, right? I'm pretty sure because I've done retaining walls. <laughs> Again, we just have, I mean, it's, it's a hypothetical design. And until we have plans, like, you know, we're, we're working within the 20 foot setback. And so, you know, we, we would need, we can't give you an answer right now. Thank you, Ms. Pearson. Uh, and thank you, Councilmember Hahn. I can tell you've put thought into this and are trying to resolve that real issue. And I appreciate that. Uh, I am not willing to introduce further uncertainty for this project and we'll leave my motion as is. Thank you. I appreciate your considering it. Well, I will go ahead and I will make an alternative motion to approve the project um, with a uh, condition that no amplified music indoors after 9 p.m., um, which also I could offer as a friendly amendment to yours as well. Um, and um, to uh, in in the in the approval to allow the staff to um, move it up to, I'll just say up to 10 feet back and 10 feet, uh, up to 10 feet south and 10 feet east as staff um, desires. Um, and so it would be approved and it would allow staff to look at this, um, note with the assumption that the tree would be removed. So that would be my alternative motion would be to approve with an allowance for staff to look at moving up to 10 feet in the eastward and in the southward directions. Is there anyone who would support that allowance? Um, I, I'm very open to the suggestion about adding a condition on the noise um, because that's just kind of really operationalizing what has been practice. Um, but I, I guess I'm a little concerned about the uncertainty around um, what permits would be required without approved plans and the potential of adding additional costs to the project. Um, so that, that's my concern with, uh, with supporting that particular design change. I think the idea of adding a condition on the noise is something the maker should entertain. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, I, I'm uncomfortable with the other proposed change, given that will add additional costs and potential delay to the um, implementation of the project. We're already significantly over budget with our team one projects, where then we're gonna have to find another 150,000 to um, close the gap to do the, to do this design change. So um, I appreciate the, the intent, but um, I can't support that. I can't second the motion. Okay. Well, I guess I'm just wanna say that um, I think it's really a shame 
um, where we are right now basically flows from an early decision that was made to make Derby Street the front of the parcel when Hillegas is clearly uh, given the chosen placement of this replacement facility, Hillegas should have been the front of the parcel. And literally, we would not be having any of these problems, and we would not have a poorly sited building um, that's going to be here in perpetuity. Uh, if, if Hillegas had been designated properly, I believe, as the front of this parcel, we would have a four-foot setback from the south side, and we wouldn't need a variance, and we would not be losing 16 feet of park space to a dead area behind a building for no reason at all. And we would not be four feet from the rear of somebody's backyard. We might be here asking with a variance before us to encroach into that 20-foot rear setback, which would then be to the west. Um, but it's much less painful than what we're doing here. And I think the outcome would have been far, far superior. Um, I'm just very disappointed that uh, we are where we are. Um, having to make a choice between um, a great program and a great new facility that's poorly sited or say no. And I will just say, I'm not going to say no to this, but it is not optimal. And I'm very sorry that we didn't have any uh, willingness to, to look at a more uh, beneficial location that provides more park space and uh, much better siting of this building for the next 100 years. Vice Mayor Bartlett. Thank you, Mr. Mayor. And uh, to, to my, my neighbors here, it's wonderful to see you uh, again. And we've had many, many meetings around this issue, usually on Zoom, but then uh, once or twice in person. It was nice to see you then, too. And a good many of you know, um, I know this park fairly well because I go there a lot with my daughter. Um, she dominates on that little toddler <laughs> playground over there. <laughs> And I love it. I like to run around. It's a great park. It's a great place to relax. It's sunny. It's beautiful. It's an oasis. Um, and it's important. And so my, my thinking on this um, is sort of framed by a couple of considerations. Uh, you know, one of which, first off, I do want to just say for the record that uh, it appears to it is not perfect. The, the end result is not perfect. And I've rarely seen things be perfect uh, in this in this role these last six, seven years. Um, so early on in our tenure, uh, this council passed a measure that we wrote called the um, Equity and Green Space Initiative. And it created a policy, uh, a policy assumption and a presumption that the city, whenever possible, should maximize green space. And that is because of the, the, inequity, the inequitable uh, green space faced by this, this half of the city uh, where the park lies. and and every time we have a choice that comes up, we should be focusing on on going towards the green space option. And in this issue, it's a little different because we're also talking about access to green space. And the the clubhouse, if you will, the 
the the place where the kids are going to go play Foursquare and whatnot uh, <laughs> is uh, it, it allows more kids to access this beautiful park uh, in in a sea of of park deserts that that cordon off half the city. Uh, I was convinced and persuaded by the map of the square footage of the 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 various uh, buildings throughout the city. There were five of them they showed in the map, and this one was the smallest, but yet the the densest and fastest growing part of the city. And I do think that uh, these kids need a place to call home, to go play after school on the weekends. Uh, when it's raining, like it rains every day around here lately, uh, places indoors, a place to be tutored, a place to be taught how to be good people and good residents of Berkeley and grow and have fun. Um, the the other thing that frames my my look at this now is is one of my constituents uh, who he, he has a new a new building by his house next door to his house. And I saw it yesterday. Uh, very, very depressing. His cover. It's He's, it's, it's horrible. He's covered in shadows. Uh, he is drenched by this towering building right next to his house. Uh, it's just my heart goes out to him. And so that was the other, other other element that I was concerned with was the the building to the south, right of the of the proposed structure. I was worried that they would be um, locked in shadows and and cut off from from the light um the way my constituent is and I, I i i do not support that for the record in general going forward because it's not fair to, to destroy anyone's quality of life like this um but with the variants that we're discussing here today it actually addresses that it picks, takes the building further away from the house and due to the financial constraints that we were faced it's no longer two stories it's the size of a house essentially Right. Um, so I know I think that that issue for me has been addressed. Uh, and thirdly, I do appreciate the creativity and the, you know, your experience uh, in things involving zoning and, and whatnot is really unparalleled. Councilman Rahan, um, I learn from you every time you speak and and I love your creativity and your willingness to to create a new thing. However, I just I just fundamentally I could not support cutting down a redwood tree. Um, that's just something I cannot do. My, my constituents uh, wrote me and called me uh, hundreds of times about the 17 redwood trees cut down at the University uh, People's Park site. Um, they don't want to hear me cutting down redwood trees. <laughs> so, so with that, I, th I think as imperfect as this is, it does provide for the next generation um, a place to play and do the stuff kids do in those rec, rec centers. Um, and I think the park itself will still remain a beautiful green oasis uh, for everyone to enjoy. Um, and at least everyone's 70% happy here. Thank you. Councilmember Humbert. Yes, thank you, Mr. Mayor. I have just a, a pretty short statement. Um, I've listened to the presentations of the appellants, the presentations of zoning and parks. I've read the appeal very carefully. I've read and listened to comments of our constituents, listened to the ZAB hearing in total, and I've considered all of those things. So my judgment is that planning and ZAB's findings should be sustained and the, the appeal denied. There are compelling and exceptional circumstances that support these findings, and I'm not going to comment on each one of the findings because I'll just join in the comments of Councilmember Robinson um, 
I would have said essentially the same thing, things, but perhaps not quite as eloquently. Um, in any event, uh, that's my statement. Thank you. Uh, we'll go next to Councillor Taplin. Thank you. <clears throat> there are a lot of families, working families, single parent families in my district, Councillor Kasserwani's district, and the vice mayor's district that rely on these programs, and there is a deep need for childcare. So I thank parks and planning staff for all of your hard work and sensitivity. I am very excited to see this project move forward. I myself was, I didn't go to Buller, but I, I did Berkeley Day Camp, so I am a living testament to the importance of having these kinds of programs and equitable access to green space. Um, this idea that somehow, I mean, our public parks are for the benefit of our entire community. So this idea that certain parks or certain neighborhoods are only for certain families, I think that is beneath the values of our city. I don't think that that defines who we are as a city. Um, and given the shortfalls we are facing with the T1 projects, I could not justify adding more uncertainty, delay, and cost to this project. Thank you. Okay, thank you. Um, I'm going to suggest we go to those counselors who have not already spoken. Uh, Councilor Kisawani. Thank you very much, Mr. Mayor. I will be very brief. I just want to thank our staff uh, for the presentation today. I want to thank Mr. Yes, Ferris uh, because I know there was extensive uh, community uh, engagement on this. And I want to thank both uh, former council member Lori Drosty, who I know was very active in this, as well as current council member Mark Humbert. I appreciate hearing um, folks giving public comment tonight in the room, as well as on Zoom. And we we did get an avalanche of emails on this issue as well. And I, I do support uh, dismissing the appeal and, and giving our staff the ability to proceed with this. And I echo the um, sentiments of others about how important it is to provide this after school programming and childcare. Um, there is a scarcity of childcare across this country, but certainly in our region that's affordable. And, you know, people, <laughs> I'm a parent, so I have to tell you, you know, people put this on their calendar weeks and months in advance of when these slots are going to open up. Um, and and they go right at nine, nine o'clock in the morning or whenever they're going to open up to sign up for all the slots that they can. And they're looking for what they can afford. And in many cases, they can't afford it. Uh, so we absolutely should do everything we can to enable this child care, because guess what? It, it does require two incomes, um, sometimes three or four incomes to be able to live in this community. I know not everybody who gave public comment um needs to work for a living uh but but many of us do and so we need these uh programs we rely on them to be able to feed our families and pay rent and pay the bills um and so i i very much think it is appropriate to move forward and give our staff the clarity that they need um and i i do think that many of the issues that were raised tonight um, you know, were considered during the process. That is my understanding. And not everybody is going to be happy all the time. Uh, but I think that what is before us is uh, going to be a great benefit for the community. It is going to have um, ample open space and provide the programming. And, and, and unfortunately, because we don't have the resources, it's going to be the smallest clubhouse possible. 
So, so that's the reality. So, um, so thank you all again for coming and engaging, and uh, I look forward to supporting the motion. Okay, thank you. Before we go to Councilmember Robinson, um, I know I did think that the, the point that Councilmember Hahn had raised of adding a condition that there be no amplified um, sound, I guess it would be sound, because you know, it could be you know, people performing music, you know, who knows, people speaking, whatever, after 9 p.m., which is before where the noise ordinance kicks in, I think that's reasonable. I mean, this isn't a residential neighborhood. It's immediately across from single-family homes. I think that's I think that's a pretty reasonable condition to add. So I'd like to ask the maker and the seconder if they'd be amenable to adding that as a condition of approval. Absolutely. That's why I hop back in the queue, if that's okay with the seconder. Yes. Okay. Thank you. And Councilor Robinson, back to you. I was going to suggest that. Thank you, Mayor Argy. Okay. Um, Councilor Wengraff, anything you want to add? You don't have to. Uh, and I'll just say very briefly that I really think we need to look forward and not look backwards. Um, I think we need to plan for the future needs of our, of our children. Um, and we need the space. I mean, 500 square feet is just not adequate. That's, you know, that's not very much at all. Um, I think this is a very modest proposal. Um, it's an interesting idea to move it, but I'm concerned about the cost and holding it up. And I also think moving it will put it closer to more residences. And that's not an issue that was discussed, but I think that that's, that might be the case. So I'm going to support the main motion. And um, I can't wait to see it completed and used. Thank you. Okay, thank you. Are there any other questions or comments? Okay, if not, uh, we have a motion, which is to um, approve the staff recommendation, actually, that's what it is, which is to um, uh, adopt a resolution affirming the ZAP decision to approve a use permit invariance um, and to dismiss the appeal with the added um, uh, conditions that staff brings the record today for the variance findings, which the clerk just had. So with that, let's call the roll of motion. Councilmember Kesserwani? Yes. Taplin? Yes. Bartlett? Yes. Harrison is absent. Hahn? Yes. Wengraff? Yes. Robinson? Yes. Humbert? Yes. Mayor Arkin? Yes. Okay, the motion carries. I'll make a motion to adjourn the meeting. Is there a second? Second. Seconded by Bartlett. Um, let's call the roll on adjournment. Councilmember Kesserwani? Yes. Taplin? Yes. Bartlett? Yes. Harrison is absent. Hahn? Yes. Wengraff? Yes. Robinson? Yes. Humbert? Yes. Mayor Arkin? Yes. Okay, the motion does carry. Okay, thank you. Appreciate it. Recording stopped.